No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Trinity, the trifecta, the troika of broadcast. And by the time I'm finished, Memorial Day at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I will have accomplished the quinella of broadcasting, having been on these airwaves for five separate periods of broadcasting, and rarely, if ever, repeating myself ad nauseum. You know what I mean, you know what I mean, you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Not yours truly, Curtis Lee, not at all. Born to be wild. Ah, well, looky, 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 who our board operator is on loan from the other side at midnight. The Frank Morano Show. Matt Blaze. Well, well, you want to stick around, Matt, because I found uh, some nuggets. I went pearl diving. And what I uh, have that I'm going to play for you and all of our audience uh, in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker there in the Bermuda Triangle is going to rock your world because the guy you thought had your back... It's trying to fire you. Oh, yeah, Matt. It's pulling all the strings. Um, Frank Marano would normally be heard a one to five, Monday through Friday. As Goldbrick uh, has decided that he's too good to be here on a uh, Monday morning, Memorial Day, when he's shooting craps at the Borgata in Atlantic City. Oh, my God. So you know what? He told the owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, you know, well, why don't you just put best of? And I did an intervention and said, there's no such thing as best of of a show. Once you played it once, you should never play it again. And it becomes worst of. It's like when you have milk in the refrigerator for too long, it expires. So I said, I volunteer to do the live show. Ha, 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 ha. So let me know Frank Morano tonight. He's losing bad. Let me tell you something. He may end up pounding the house. Oh, what is that? Oh, yeah. Hold on a second. What is he? What is he doing? There? What is he? Oh, oh, you got him in a... All right. Uh, we got eight. Eight. Eight easy. Eight easy. He's losing his shirt. He's going to end up having to pound the hound, taking the Greyhound back to the Port Authority. But tough nuggies. That's Frank Morano. Hopefully he'll make it back in time for the Memorial Day Parade in Staten Island on Forest Avenue that uh, that walks off at 12 noon. 
in just a, a few hours. But let's talk about a story here that is beginning to expand all throughout the five boroughs. And by the way, uh, the morning show, 6 to 10, will not have uh, Sid Rosenberg or Bernard McGurk. Uh, they're off for the day. Instead, we'll have the CNC team. And I'm not talking CNC Cola here. I'm talking Katsimatidis uh, uh, and Serrani. That's right, John Katsimatidis and Lydia Serrani. So we got the Greek and the Albanian that will be holding down the fort from 6 to 10. And then, in just 2 hours and 15 minutes, it's going to be lunch on Memorial Day with yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. You'll have the O'Reilly update at 12 noon, and then I'll be on from 12.15 to 1 o'clock to give you uh, not just a rip and read of all the news, but give you the commentary, the concise commentary that uh, you're going to be receiving all week long. But let's get down to it. So a big story overnight was the fact that these marauders, these animals, these beasts who are on their all-terrain vehicles, their ATVs and their quads, the all-terrain vehicles, they got the three wheels, the quads got the four wheels, have been tearing up the streets, the side streets of Washington Heights in Upper Manhattan and Inwood. And the residents there have been saying, no mas, no mas, we are under siege. Because not only are these vehicles going up and down and taking over the streets, like a B-grade Hell's Angels movie forever. But they're blasting out their reggaeton, their bachata. They're keeping people awake until the wee hours of the morning. And the 34th Precinct, uh, which covers that area, has done absolutely jack diddly squat. Nothing. Right at that intersection at 193rd Street and St. Nicholas Avenue. It's a drag strip. You got motorcycles, cars. Uh, they're doing illegal turns. They're popping wheelies, popping donuts. And everyone in the area is traumatized. Traumatized by the cars, traumatized by the motorcycles, traumatized by the all-terrain vehicles, traumatized by the quads, and traumatized by the super loud mufflers. That's right, you know. <laughs> Those mufflers are blasting. Morning, noon, and night, running red lights, on the sidewalks, doing the loops, gunshots, you name it. Just total chaos and anarchy. And the people are begging and they are beseeching for help up there on Amsterdam Avenue and Fort George Avenue, which in the wee hours of the morning, it's an outdoor party. It's heavy drinking, drugs, gigantic speakers on top of cars the size of refrigerators. And the cops are doing nothing. Why? Because they've been told to stand back. They've been told to basically take your hands off your guns, put your hands in your belt buckle, hold on to your three-piece set, act like a cop, but don't go out there and be a cop. Now, I got to assume this is orders from headquarters, Mr. Nightlife himself, Eric Adams. You know, he loves to raise the roof. He loves to be at Club Zero Bond and uh, break uh, break the night till the first rays of dawn. But this has got to stop. So at 5.50 today, after I finished my uh, stint from 3 to 5 here at WABC, always broadcasting Curtis, I went out into the street and people were screaming at me, Curtis, Curtis, you got to come down the block, come down the block. And who were there, all these beasts of burdens? You know, they had their... 
They had their hats on, you know, their Nazi hats. Uh, they were on their bikes. They were on their ATVs, their quads. They were tearing up the Upper East Side here in Manhattan. Upper East Side. And all the Upper East Side people, oh, oh, run, the barbarians are here. Oh, my God. Not a cop in sight. Rolling up and down the street. So I went right in the middle of the street. You know, as if I was going to set them off like drag racing. Stood right in the middle of the seat, and they're circling me, circling me. I said, what, 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 what? It's 200 of them. And they were down from the hood, definitely from Washington Heights inward, mostly Dominicanos, some of them Trinitarios. No response from the cops. And it isn't even the middle of summer yet. So I don't know what the mayor is doing at City Hall. Probably uh, getting a newly designed, customized suit, new pair of Ferragamos. Hopefully he'll make time to go to some of the many Memorial Day parades throughout the five boroughs and show some patriotic pride. Look, he's done it before when he was Brooklyn Borough President, and I'm sure he'll do it as mayor. But he's got to do something about those all-terrain vehicles, those quads, the bachata, the regaton that is destroying Washington Heights and Inwood, and now they're starting to bleed down to Midtown Manhattan, the Upper East Side, Upper West Side. Ladies and gentlemen, if uh, you have been subject to the barbarian horde and keeping you out up into the wee hours of the morning, look, it's one thing if I keep you up to the wee hours of the morning because I'm like super turbocharged, and I'm going to keep you up until the break of dawn. But you have a choice to turn me off. You can't turn off these monsters of mayhem because, let's face it, they're just tearing up the park. They're up there. They're up there in Fort Tyrone Park, tearing up that beautiful area. Uh, They were in that Michael Busick field. Michael Busick was a police officer killed by a Dominican drug dealer. It was named in his honor. And they're just tearing up that baseball field. Now, normally Dominicans, they play baseball, one of the few, morning, noon, and night. They make good use of baseball fields. They don't turn it into a soccer pitch. But it is really out of control. Look, I saw it for myself. 200 of these monsters, these marauders, and they were on the sidewalks. They were in the streets. The Upper East Side, uh, we'll call them the Gentile. We're running. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 550 tonight. Talking about the Upper East Side, the crime wave has spread all over the city, and especially the Upper East Side the other day, 63rd and 3rd. So a masked bicyclist. Gets off his bicycle, you can see the video, and repeatedly stabs a pedestrian. Repeatedly stabs a pedestrian. The pedestrian is screaming for his life. No, no, help, help. Did anybody help him? No, cowards. Oh, let's film it, but we're not going to run out into the street. We're damn. I'm not going to take my car and crash right into that bicyclist. Why? You think the bicyclist has an advantage with a knife in his hand on a Raleigh 10-speed bicycle when you got four wheels in a car? Crash right into him. Turn him into a speed bump. If Eric Adams is not going to bring law and order and safety to the streets, if he's not going to let the cops do what they've been trained to do, we got to take the law into our own hands. Turn him into speed bumps. And then you say, but wait a second, I'll be sued for every nickel, dime, and penny I have. For every one person out there wants to stand up to the horde, there are those who are practicing their martial art called I Sue. 
lawyers who are hell-bent on taking every nickel, dime, and penny that you have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. You're right. You're right. I understand that. But you know I, how I am. I've got anger management issues. I was ready to go at those guys. I was actually thinking of diving at one of those guys and bulldogging him down to the ground. Now, what do you think the other 200 guys would have done to me if I had bulldogged one of their homeboys to the ground? Wouldn't have mattered. I would have had the satisfaction of doing it. No, no, no. Not on our street. Not in our hood. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And this is the typical problem in this city. Let me read you from the crime blotter. An off-duty NYPD police officer working security in an NYPD uniform was at a Midtown Dwayne Reed drugstore, which was right at West 35th Street and West 36th Street. And all of a sudden, she saw a shoplifter, of which there are many. Probably he had asked for his Alvin uh, Bragg, the Manhattan DA swag bag. Probably came in first. Can I have the Alvin Bragg swag bag? You know, two-fisted on both sides. So he's trying to get out with all the beer. She blocks him, and then he knocks her out. And so she's taken to the hospital. He does the bird. And here is the description that we always get, ladies and gentlemen. And the New York City Police Department knows you're never going to find this guy. The suspect was described as standing five foot eight inches with a beard and wearing a brown coat, gray pants, and black and white sneakers. Uh, Something missing here. What's the guy's color? How the hell am I going to know who he is? He'll be a white guy, an Asian guy, a Hispanic guy, a black guy. I'm going to read you the description again because this always happens in the crime blotter. What are they afraid to say? Black. Do I have to pencil it in? Who's writing up these descriptions at one police plaza? Is someone looking over their shoulder and saying, no, 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 you can't do that. That's profiling. What do you mean profiling? It's the description. How are you going to catch this guy? Once again, this guy knocked out, guess what, a black female police officer. We knew she was black. Why? Because we saw a picture of her on the ground. A suspect described as standing five foot eight inches with a beard and wearing a brown coat, gray pants, and black and white sneakers. No mention of his color. Now, this happens over and over and over. Remember the subway shooter? We learned that his name was Frank James. He looked like one of the village people. He had that white construction hat on, the orange vest, shot the 10, escaped into Sunset Park, and then walked around the city on a tour for 30 hours and was giving himself up to the NYPD, but they couldn't find him until eventually they got him in the Lower East Side. Remember 30 hours later? They never once described him as being black, remember? Was he a white guy? Is he a Hispanic guy? Is he an Asian guy? Why can't they freaking write down when a guy is black or dark-skinned as part of the description of the suspect? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then a continued war against the police two years after George Floyd was killed by those four Minneapolis police officers in the streets of South Minneapolis. It has not really gotten any better. 
what happened the night before in Far Rockaway. Far Rockaway, per capita, per person, may have the most gang shootings, most gang uh, killings in the entire city. But you never know about it because it's part of uh, the forgotten Rockaways. Nobody talks about it. I'm there all the time. Red Fern Projects, Auburn Projects. Ever, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. They changed the name of the projects there, thinking, wow, that may change the character. Nope. It's still bad. And the problem is, is that you had two cops who were shot at. This is 5 o'clock at night. Six shots. Beach 66 and Beach Channel Drive. Again, a description A man in a gray hoodie and gray sweatpants. A man in a black hoodie, 18 to 20. No description of color. Two guys shooting at cops. Six shots. If you gave the description to the cops themselves, all points bulletin, they're shooting at our brothers and sisters. But I can't tell you what the color of the suspects are. I can tell you what they were wearing. A gray hoodie and a gray, a gray pair of sweatpants. The other guy was wearing a black hoodie. They were about 18 to 20 years old. They can define that. But we can't define the fact that they have melanin in their skin. Do they think we're all stupid? Of course they do. They treat us like pawns. They're so politically correct. Oh, God, about 80% of the crime is being committed by blacks or dark-skinned people, right? Wow, shocking. Like, we don't know that. Just look at the evening news. Almost every other guy, right? Black, dark skin, black, black. Oh, there's a white guy. Wow. How did he get in there? That's an exception to the rule. Uh, They do white collar crime. Oh, that's right. They don't feature that on the news. Maranamai. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jerry calling from the Upper East Side. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jerry. Hi. Two things now. First of all, we have these herds of motorcycle guys speeding down Lexington Avenue in the 90s uh, from, I guess, East Harlem. And we called the 19th Precinct, you know, our people in our building. And we were told by the detectives there that they were under instructions not to do anything about it. What do you think of that? That is correct, Jerry. They're, They're being honest with you. They're telling you the truth. The cops would like to go out and do their job. Uh, but basically, uh, they can't do ugats, bupkis, because orders from one police plaza and from city haulers do not engage these marauders on these uh, ATVs, these quads, these motorcycles, these e-bikes, because we don't want to riot. We don't want to riot. And also, uh, there's that radio station that supposedly gives you, you know, you give us 20 minutes and we'll give you all the liberal news. Uh, <laughs> we call them about the uh, non, the phony description of criminals. And I spoke personally to the news director there, uh, and he said that uh, he doesn't want to, you know, change anything. You know, he doesn't want to be a racist. So, you know, that station, you know, you give us 20 minutes and we'll give you the news. Yeah. Which it doesn't. They give you the the spin. And, Jerry, let me tell you something. You would think this just applies to uh, criminals, suspects, and crimes against people, us. Uh, It includes the cops themselves. Now, just think. You're out there, 100th Precinct in Far Rockaway. 
He goes over the radio, All Points Bulletin. They've just fired six shots at our colleagues. They fired at two of our colleagues. Five o'clock, right, at night. It's light out. We're not talking five o'clock in the morning. Five o'clock at night. You know damn well they're black guys. They're the only people who live out there. Yes, some Hispanics and occasional white. They're black guys. The over-under point spread says they're black teenagers, right? Black gang bangers. I could probably tell you what gang they're from. They're from Auburn. They're from Redfern, right? I don't even need a divining rod. Here's the description that came over the police radios. We're looking for a man in a gray hoodie and a gray sweatpants. We're looking for another suspect in a black hoodie, 18 to 20. And no mention of their color. I don't know. Maybe the cops can read each other's minds. You know, maybe they have certain trichnology terminology that they know by the inflection in the voice. Oh, that's a black guy. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you think about this. How stupid. How are you going to catch people if you can't even announce what they look like when you know what they look like? Frank James. What color is he? Oh, I don't know. I can't say anything. Come on, he's a black guy, right? No, can't say that. Why? Well, we'll be considered racist. So we're running around looking for a guy who just shot 10 people on the Q train. <laughs> At 8.30 in the morning, rush hour, we have no idea what color he is, except he's wearing a white construction hat and an orange vest and looking like a cast character in the village people. Now, you see, Eric Adams, the swagger man who has no plan, as crime just continues to accelerate, Because his complexion is his protection. He's a black guy. He's always telling us that. All he's got to do is stop this nonsense. If the description, if the video, if the photograph is of a dark-skinned guy or a black guy, because it's rarely women, just tell the public who it is so they can help us catch the person. Gee, what do you think he looks like? Well, I tell you, he's probably black. Oh, you can't say that. Well, you're profiling. Come on. No, no, he's probably, he, he probably, no, 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 I, I'm telling you, the last 10 people I've seen have been like, oh, you can't say that, racist. I don't want to run around, I want to be called a racist, please. I guess it's time to move to Florida. Oh, wait, in the next hour, guess where people are moving to out of New York City? The Catskills, the Irish Alps, and the Jewish Himalayas. Up Route 17, the Catskills was empty. It was like a ghost town. You could have rolled a sagebrush through, through the old Monticello trotter track. And now it's filled with New York City residents fleeing. Ah! Uh, yeah, Eric Adams. Yeah, you all believe that, right? Oh, law and order. That's right. All you had is no law and total disorder. And cops who can't even describe to you the color, the skin color of the suspect who just tried to kill two of their own. Anyway, let's go to Dino in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Dino? Hey, how are you, uh, Curtis? I just want to mention three things. Number one, about the car popping in the street. You have people, you have, you have all families that have children, and they pop so damn loud. If the city wants revenue, pull them over. Get revenue. Lo- do what you got to do with these. It's ridiculous. If you heard the noises going down Queens, you say Manhattan, come to Queens. Same thing, dirt bikes, popping wheelies, but and the cars popping. Second thing, Eric Adams needs to go back to grammar school. His English, he speaks like straight-up ghetto. He needs to speak correct English, and when he, when he talks to the public, 
I don't understand how he gets away with it. He is 100% ghetto and has, he sounds like, I want that. I want that. I want the ghetto to come out in him because in the hood, you're not going to put up with that crap. I want him to go ghetto on these thugs and thugettes. I certainly talk like that, right? I mean, when Dominic Carter comes in here at 12 o'clock, I want you to close your eyes, listen to him talk, and listen to me talk. And then if you didn't know who I was, you didn't know who he was, Dino, you'd probably pick me as the black guy simply because my name is Curtis. Most people who are who are Curtis are black, like Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, who culturally appropriated my name. But I mean, think about it. Who talks more hood than me here at WABC? Dominic Carter? I'm Dominic Carter. I've been trained as a journalist at Syracuse University. I speak white. Well, he's a trained journalist. But, hey, Dominic Carter, he can get down. He can talk like he's in the hood. He grew up in the Patterson Projects, South Bronx, 138th and 3rd. I mean, we're talking hardcore projects. He went to Theodore Roosevelt High School, the drugstore, right across from Fordham University on Fordham Road next to the White Castle, down the road from the Mickey D's where I was a night manager and formed the Guardian Angels in 1979. So if he wants to go hood on you, Dominic Carter can go hood on you, and so can Eric Adams. But I want him to go hood because if he goes hood, he's going to stop this nonsense. Because he has eyes... On the White House. We saw that. Eric, let me give you some good advice. If you don't get control of your staff, you may end up in the big house before you end up in the White House. Ah, I'm not going to say anything more. Anyway, let's go to Michael in Rockaway Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yeah, Curtis, I met you, by the way, um, in the 1980s. I was an auxiliary police lieutenant. At the 5-2, and I met you at Mickey D's when you were starting the, your organization. Um, at that time, there was no uh, there was no confusion. When someone where a perpetrator was being described over the radio, he was described as either black or white or Asian or whatever. And I don't get it today. I don't understand how you cannot identify a perpetrator, uh, you know, because you want to be politically correct. It doesn't make sense. And not only that, Michael, the two incidences that I described to you where there was no description, adequate description, had to do with people uh, killing, trying to kill two cops in uh, Far Rockaway. And the suspect who knocked out the uh, police officer, the African-American female police officer who uh, off-duty was working a second job in Dwayne Weed security. You can work uh, in your police uniform. And again, I'm going to read the description. This is the cops sending the description out about people who are trying to kill their own colleagues and injure their own colleagues. The suspect was described as standing 5 foot 8 inches with a beard and wearing a brown coat, gray pants, and black and white sneakers. And, and, was he a, was he a Caucasoid, a Caucasian, you know, I don't know, Hispanic, dark you, even say he had a dark you. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds like, uh, you know, hey, dark skin, right? Nothing. You know how many people are walking around the city of New York Midtown, five foot, eight, five foot eight, with a beard, wearing a brown coat, gray pants, black and white sneakers, who are multicolored? 
And depending on what they identify themselves that day, you have to believe what they identify themselves. You're a white guy, right? No, I identify as being black today. You have to accept who I claim I am today. Now, tomorrow I may go back to being a white guy, but please don't traumatize me. Don't trigger me off. I'm a black man today. Okay. Uh, You're a guy, right? No. Today I identify myself as a transgender. So remember... In the arrest report, you must put transgender because that's what I identify myself as. And I want to be a transgender because if, in fact, I get locked up and I go to Rikers Island, I don't want to be in the male prison. No, I'll be a transgender. Put me with the women. God, this is like common sense. Anyway, let's go to the phones. (laughs) I can't. This is crazy. How the cops going to do their job? They're not even being given descriptions of the suspects who are trying to kill them and knock them out. What do you think we're going to get as citizens? We get Ugats. We get Bupkis. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Uh, good evening, Curtis. Hi. I just wanted to talk about uh, I'm on the Upper East Side. Not only do we have the blasting motorcycles going up uh, Lexington and actually Third Avenue as well, we also have the food delivery people riding their 40-pound bikes on the sidewalks. I know I've been hit by one, and there's no enforcement. There are no license plates. There's nothing. If you go into the precinct there on one of the 66th Street, absolutely nothing. We can do absolutely nothing. We didn't see anything. Uh, they're not supposed to be there, but we've been instructed to do nothing. So I said, well, what if I slug the guy? What if I'm carrying a baseball bat? We will have you arrested. There's, there's just, there's just no, no good happening. And I think a lot of it has to do with this mayor who came in with a platform of, uh, law and order. He's just a faker. Well, you know, some, he's got to get serious. Uh, he can do the job, Robert. He has the experience. But he's not focused. Uh, he's not putting all of his energy into battling crime. Now, think about it. Imagine how embarrassing it is. You are the law and order mayor. You're going around, going around the country. You're saying, I'm the new face of the Democratic Party. I'm not like AOC, which he's not. But your crime stats are worse than any time of the eight years of Bill de Blasio who did nothing to support the cops. I mean, let's face it, after a while, the analytics, the stats have to justify that you're calling yourself the law and order mayor. And, Robert, things are getting worse out there. Well, Curtis, I agree with you, and uh, thanks for having your campaign. Oh, but wait a second, Robert. When we come back, oh, she works hard for her money. Hey, this is not just guys here. (laughs) Michelle, my belt. No, not Michelle Obama. Michelle, my belt. This woman is a piece of work. She's not a violent criminal. She never uses a straight-edge razor. She doesn't use a shiv. She's not going to knock you down. If you happen uh, to be a police officer or a private security officer or even a citizen, if you stood in her way when she committed the crime, she would say, I give up because nothing's going to happen to me. You can't touch this. W-A-B-C.
the diva of disco, Donna Summers. You know, there was a rumor when I used to hit the dance floor in my polyester waffle weave flame retarded shirt with my uh, bell bottom pants and my uh, marshmallow shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, I was a caricature. But they said that Donna Summers, who was from down near Vineland in New Jersey, I believe, I have no idea, it was a mystique about her. But then, look at her when she sings, Curtis. She's got an Adam's apple. It goes up and down. I see. A tranny? And then I found out she was a holy roller. Singing songs like this, she could not be a holy roller. I mean, she tore it up. At one point, almost every song on WKTU, what the Supreme Cuisines listened to in the era of disco, was a Donna Summer's jam. She owned disco. Turned out she was a holy roller. And she was not a tranny. But anyway, I digress. The reason I play this song is she has earned the right to have her own theme song. I, well, it must have been about a month ago, I was on with Jesse Waters on Fox News. And we were talking about Michelle Mybell, a woman that I've known over the years, Michelle McKelly. She had boosted 98 times what that means she had gone into uh, uh, all kinds of retail stores. She had gone into Dwayne Reed, CVS, Walgreens. She had gone into Old Navy. I mean, you name the store, Target. They all knew her. They had a picture right up there with the cashiers, you know. <laughs> Here's Michelle, my belle. She's not violent, but she is a shoplifter, and she will probably first come up, and she is so nice that she will first ask you, can I please have an Alvin Bragg swag bag? The Manhattan DA who doesn't prosecute anybody. And you know how you have those Dwayne Reed plastic bags that you can carry around? That's a true New Yorker when they got a Dwayne Reed bag. Well, she asked for two of those. She calls them the Alvin Bragg swag bags. Well, she has now been arrested 108 times, 10 times. And I believe I will be back with Jesse Waters to describe this, although I promise I will find Michelle Mybell because I've seen her out there. We've had conversations. She says, hey, this is my business. I got to go to work. I'm a hardworking woman. And she'll tell anybody who comes up to her. She's not intimidating. She will not fight. She does not carry a shiv, a straight-edge razor. If you stop her... She will drop her Alvin Bragg swag bag and say, you can arrest me, because she knows there are no consequences. When, basically, when you, t- when you take something, they call that petty larceny. Anything that's over, under $1,000 is considered petty larceny. Anything that's over $1,000 is called, considered grand larceny. That's why I had the felony. I had a felony considered. I had a felony for grand larceny. I went to Bloomingdale's. Okay. Bloomingdale's and I stole, um, I took, I... I professionally, I professionally obscured some, some, some items consisting of polo and um, Ralph Lauren shirts and shirts, shirts, pants and, 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 and shirts and pants for the winter. Okay, and you got a pretty nice shirt on. Did you steal that shirt? Did I obscure this shirt? I sure did obscure this shirt. Right. Will you go stealing now? I mean, will you steal even now that you're out on supervised release? I have to give me an outfit. You have to what? I have to get me an outfit. You have to get a new outfit. I have to get a new outfit. Okay, so you're going to go steal it. So I have to go work. Work is stealing. I don't call it stealing. I call it professional 
I'm a professional booster. A professional booster. She is. She knows her work uh, situation. She is a professional booster every day. Uh, she uh, was living in Harlem for a while. She's no longer there. That's why I got to try to find her for Jesse Waters because she'll tell Jesse exactly what she does for a living. She's not ashamed of it. She's a professional booster. She starts out, she gets a cup of Starbucks latte, grande latte. A lot of work to do during the day going up and down those aisles. And then she goes to work. She doesn't do it late at night. She does it in broad daylight. People know who she is. It's Michelle. Michelle says, I'm here. Can I have my Alvin Bragg swag bag, please? And she just loots. She knows exactly what to go for. Remember, she was telling this guy, hey, I go for Polo, Ralph Lauren, Bloomingdale's. Notice, hey, she's a Bloomingdale's gal. She works sacks. She works them all. But when times get tough, when all of a sudden they start ratcheting up the security in Bloomingdale's or sacks, then she starts hitting Target, Old Navy. Then when it really gets desperate for it, she'll tell you, hey, Walgreens, they're all suckers there. Dwayne Reed, they're not going to do anything. CVS, she walks out with two bags full. And then she sells it. Says, hey, I got here some makeup, right? She knows why. She knows she's a good salesperson, too. She says, I, look, this is going to cost you like normally $9, $10 retail. Give me a dollar. Right? She got 100 items. By the end of the day, she got $100. She's not a drug addict. She doesn't drink. For her, this is work. And let me tell you something. Finally, Tish James, the attorney general for the state of New York, the highest uh, leveled law enforcement officer elected by us schmucks that we were, uh, who has eyes only for Donald Trump, Donald Trump's family, Donald Trump's businesses. Oh, that's right. I want to sue him. I'm going to lock him up. Criminal charges, civil charges. That's all she does. She lives her life. To sue Donald Trump. Go ahead. Knock yourself out, lady. But we got a crime epidemic going on throughout New York State from Buffalo to Brooklyn. And none of it involves Donald Trump. And they finally did something. They set up a sting for Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. I kid you not. It's like Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Except this guy is not Alibaba. He's Ronnie Rubinoff. And Ronnie Rubinoff owns the Diamond District pawn shop known as New Liberty Loans. At 67 West 47th Street. That's right, all you Alta Cacas. Ronnie would be taking a cigarette break. All he was doing is taking in stolen items, and it was like churning out. You get a dollar, you get $5, whatever, storing it in the pawn shop. And then he bought a warehouse in Fresh Meadows in Queens with all this stolen loot. Took him two years to bust them. All you had to do is get one of these scales of mutts. Shake them down, right, as cops. They know how to blow a good cop, bad cop. And they would have ratted out Ronnie a long time ago. Ronnie Rubinoff. It's like Fagan. You got product? We'll turn it around. We'll do a bait and switch on you. Come on into the pawn shop here. This is going on in broad daylight. We're not talking the wee hours of the morning. This is not like Goodfellas where they're hijacking 18-wheel tractor trailers and boosting that. We're talking about going into stores, retail establishments, chain stores, mom and pop stores, just destroying, destroying our city. The city can't recover and return with this kind of lawlessness. Anyway, uh, let's go to Joseph in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Good evening. Good 
evening. Uh, listen, you are a hundred percent right. They destroying the city. I'm I'm a Dominican and I'm black and I'm like in between multiracial, you know, in our community. And I see things happen every day. And what I also am doorman on 79 and second, and uh, and 79 people know that they live around there. No, on 80th Street and Second Avenue there used to be a Rite Aid. They closed it. Why? Because thieves they used to go inside there and take everything. They cannot do anything to stop them. And who are doing those things? African Americans and Latinos most of the time. And I am ashamed of our people. Uh, politicians should be talking about this more, and they're not doing anything. They're not doing anything, not only in the city, but in the entire country. And thank you for bringing that up. Well, this is what I do, Joseph. I've been doing this for 43 years as leader of the Guardian Angels. As you know, many of them are black and Hispanic. The majority are, and Asian. Uh, and we go out there and we fight for what we know is right. We don't wait for the cops. We don't wait for the officials. They call us vigilantes. We take the law into our own hands. Let me tell you something. We're not going to stand around and watch crime being committed in front of us. There are things that people can do. Yes, there is risk involved, but there are things that people can do. When, uh, when the elected officials see that people are like sheep and are afraid, Speaking of afraid, men, men out there, you should be ashamed. I I don't know if you're listening to me, those men who are on that, that subway car, that subway car that pulled into Delancey and Essex, that J train car, the emotionally disturbed guy was going up and down, up and down, kicking in the windows, threatening everybody. You all ran away from him. You ran in the corner, but, oh, you had to film him, right? You weren't going to intervene. And then he grabs the woman. He said, where are you going? And you see in that video, the woman goes, please help me. Help me. Don't let him kill me. Where's your manhood? Put down your trousers. You got cocktail onions? You see, when it's a situation like that and you've all seen that that video because it's gone viral, He's calling everyone demons. He's telling them, go ahead, go ahead. You want to take me on? Now, can you imagine if the United States Supreme Court allows people to carry weapons, handguns? Uh, It's moving in that direction because of the court case that affects uh, a challenge here in New York State. If you have qualified for a permit to have a weapon on your premises, a handgun, your place of business or your home, you'll now be able to elevate that to a carry permit. I don't know if if they'll permit you to have it concealed or open. But wouldn't that be great if we had a Charles Bronson on that train when that guy was attacking that woman and she was begging for mercy? Please, please help me. He's going to kill me. Somebody just pulled out their gun, walked up to him. Right in the head. Stepped on him and walked off and said, you didn't see anything. Done. Over. Now, all of a sudden, you would see Eric Adams. We can't allow vigilantism in the city of New York. You see that? They would get upset about. But the fact that when the guy who killed the guy from Goldman Sachs, you've you've all heard about that story. The guy was from Park Slope. 
was last Sunday, remember, he was going to have brunch with a friend in Manhattan. He was on the Q train. It was going over the Manhattan Bridge. And then all of a sudden, this, oh, that's, can, can I say, can I say the black suspect, Abdullah, Abdullah, the black guy. He was a black guy, right? But that wasn't his description. Oh, no, it didn't come over. In fact, the cops had him. They had him on Canal Street. And because he had changed his hoodie, this is what they do, gangbangers. They commit a crime, and then they take off their clothes, and they put on something else. They carry a second hoodie. So they say, well, it said it was a black hoodie. Well, he's wearing a white hoodie. Well, it can't be him. Yes, it can. Keep him right there. He ain't going nowhere. Until you get the witnesses on that train who saw who he was, you keep him right there. Can't do that any longer. So then we had to wait for some uh, some uh, so-called reverend of the church uh, of what's happening now in Canarsie, where I grew up. He drives up in a Rolls Royce. It's all tricked out, pimped out, you know, tinted windows. He's going to drive up to the 5th precinct with him and give him up, not to the police, but to Eric Adams. And the police said, no, 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 no. We're going to grab him first. But anyway, Abdullah, Abdullah kills the guy from Goldman Sachs, and then he tells everyone in that last car, put your cell phones away. You didn't see nothing. You're getting off at the next stop, Canal Street, and just keep walking. Now, if the criminals can do that, why can't the law-abiding people do that? What would be wrong? You saw the video. This guy is menacing people on that train, that J train, as it pulls into Essex to Lancey. So that meant it was going over the bridge from Brooklyn into Manhattan, because that's the first stop. That's a long ride from Marcy. He's menacing them. He grabs the woman. She's begging, please, please. He's, he's pulling her by the hair. All the men are retreating, except one of them is filming it. What would be wrong? Someone had a legal permit to carry, and at that point just walked up to him and say, pray to your maker. Bang! Right between the eyes. Boom! On the ground. What's wrong with that, right? Remember that famous scene of Bronson, not in Death Wish, when he was, I believe, the detective in Los Angeles, and this uh, degenerate raper was raping, raping, I think even had raped his daughter. And finally they corner him in this park, and he's all naked, obviously deranged. And remember that famous scene where the guy goes, you can't touch me, you can't do anything, I'm sick, I'm sick, you can't touch me. And then Bronson, the detective, just took out his gun and bang! Oh, can't do that. Oh, no, no, that's not civilized. Excuse me, would we prefer what's happening now? No law, total disorder. People are fleeing this city. DeSantis land, that's right, Freedom Land in Florida has reported more people exiting New York City for Florida than the year before 2021. That was the Blasio. This is Adams now. We're going to be talking in the next hour how many people in New York City are going to the Catskills. There was nothing in the Catskills Folded up, sagebrush too. It was dead. Now it's revived. Why? Because people from New York City are moving there. To the Irish Alps, the Jewish Himalayas, Route 17. Now they got traffic jams. 
People up there don't like it. Uh, all these New York City people, they're bringing trouble to us. But if we don't get control of this, and if we don't let the people respond, now look, let the cops respond. But if you're not going to let the cops respond, then let the people respond. Anyway, let's go to Bernie, who's calling from uh, Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bernie. Uh, thank you, Curtis. Uh, if the assailant is white in New York City, the police identify him as white. If they don't, defy, I don't identify him, it automatically means he's black. No identification means identification. Hold on a second, Bernie. There is an update right here. I'm looking. Uh, there was a suspect who was arrested outside of the Edgemere Projects in Far Rockaway. Uh, he was one of apparently three guys who had shot six times at two uniformed police officers from the 100th Precinct in Far Rockaway. He's standing in front of Edgemere. I can identify Edgemere. I've been there many times. Although they changed it to what? Ocean View figuring. We changed the name. We'll change the project. Not. This guy is black. He's a blood. You can see he's throwing a blood sign. But we can't identify the other two guys. No, the the two people they're looking for. They got the scowl and the mutt. They got one of them. One out of the three. Black. Black teenager throwing blood signs, right? It's like, it's a salute. He's getting photographed, he's throwing a blood sign. The other two men that are still, they call them persons of interest, right? What do you mean? They try to kill cops. they're, They're people of interest. A man in a gray hoodie and gray sweatpants. Second suspect is a man in a black hoodie, 18 to 20. Want to bet they're black? Oh, but you can't say that. Even though the first suspect has been arrested, and you look at the picture, and clearly he's a blood-throwing blood signs outside of Edgemere Projects in Far Rockaway, and I'm assuming he's a homie hanging out with other homies. Or maybe maybe he's got some graduate students from Harvard University who are doing a study, and they want to be keeping it real. So they want to hang out in the hood. They want to hang out in Auburn and Redfern and uh, Edgemere. I would suggest people do that, and they'll see, unfortunately, what the local residents have to go through. They are in a prison. You worry about Rikers Island? These elderly black and Hispanic residents of public housing are in a prison. They can't leave their apartments because the gunslingers, the young thugs and thuggettes, a cap and shots at one another in the streets. They can't even go to the grocery. Who's in prison? Somebody in Rikers Island who runs the joint with the Bloods and the Crips and the Trinitarios and 18th Street and MS-13. They run Rikers Island, not the correctional officers. Who's in prison or the tenants of public housing who can't even go downstairs because they're terrified that they're going to be shot? Who should be we be representing and protecting? The young thugs and thuggettes who have declared war on everyone, including the cops, or the elderly on a day like today wouldn't even go to the local church, fearing that they would become a victim of crossfire. (sighs) Let's go to David in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, David. Thank you for taking my call, Curtis. Uh, I've spoken to you over the years, and 
you know, people have disagreements on the Second Amendment, but this ruling that's expected in June by the Supreme Court, I'm pretty certain that the communist media repetition will not have any leaks of any kind if there is expected to be a ruling going that pro-Second Amendment supporters would like. Because if it is, the media is they're going to go absolutely uh, apoplectic. They're not going to know what to do. But when licenses to carry concealed farms come to the city and state of New York, eventually, within, I'd say, a good six months, and you know more about the crime uh, problem than yeah, I ever But, but I'm telling you, uh, David, they're already beating the drum that this will be worse than the problem itself, which is ridiculous. Let's go to Mike in the Lower East Side. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. How you doing there, Curtis? Yeah, I'm going to stick up for these kids on the bikes. They're good kids, okay? They like to pop wheelies and all that. And I'm sticking up for the guys on, on the motorcycles. They don't go on sidewalks. They they pop a good wheel. It takes a lot of time to do. You know, maybe we can, like, get boroughs, you know, to have competitions or something. I mean, these kids are 99.9% there. They're not criminals. They don't go out shooting people. They don't go robbing people or anything. We could get them on our side. We can have all every borough have like competition between like they, they, they did years ago in in the parks. Uh, you know, have competition between borough and borough. They they're not out drinking. They're not out doing pot. They're not pot smokers. They're not drug addicts. I ride with them now and I meet up with them. I give them safety points. You know, things to do, what thing not to do. You know, because I got a lot of experience. I still ride. I still pop a mean wheelie. And you know, we we got to get these kids on our side. They're good kids. I'm telling you that. that, that let's not let's not. You know, people. That's all they want to hear. You know, these these guys that foam at the mouth, the minute they see a kid popping a wheelie, and they're, the first thing they do is go and kill him. If you go to a funeral, they they got little kids, they got their grandmothers. It's just like a regular funeral. These are good kids. We got we to gotta do the right thing, and we got to try and save them. They, they're almost there. We got to get them on our side, Curtis. You're in the Lower East Side. You're near the Ninth Precinct, uh, Mike. You're right. All right. Very simple thing. Cops stop them, and they say, where are your papers? Show me your license and registration that you own this bike. Because you know a lot of them don't own that bike. It's stolen, Mike. Well, you know, I mean, this is New York City, Curtis. You know, uh, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's a bad city, but the kids are not out shooting people. They're not out killing people. They're not doing drugs. All right, they're poor kids. Right, you know but, what I mean? But, wait, but, but Mike, 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 we stopped them, right? Because if they're violating uh, the uh, traffic code, which uh, some of them well, do. We're all violators, Curtis. All right, right. In God's eyes, we're all violators. All right, well, hold on. And I'm a cop in the Ninth Precinct, and I say to the guy, hey, let me see your license and registration. Let me see your papers. And a lot of them don't have it. This is what I would do. I would take the bike to the Ninth Precinct in the backyard and I'd say, when you can find the papers, you know, at your house, you can come and retrieve the bike. Mike, you know that 95% of those bikes will never be retrieved because they were stolen to begin with. Oh, but uh, who knows? Look, I'm not one to judge, but there's kids out there that don't save their money. I did, and I, I bought my own motorcycles, you know. I mean, back in the day, there was, there was hardly any motorcycles. You had to go build them. You had to get parts here and there and everywhere, put it together, and, and ride. So you, you knew how to work on a bike. I mean, this is what these kids do. They're mechanics. They, you know, they, need it. they need a chance. You know, all right, because they pop a wheelie, 
you know, oh, we got to go run these kids over with Land Rovers, man. Come on, man. They're only kids. Mike, we got to give them a chance. Mike, I was being very genteel. If I were the cop, I would have taken the bike once they showed that they didn't have ownership of it, and I knew they stole it. And on the way to the precinct, when I would park it in the backyard, I would take my own uh, switchblade, pop, pop the tires. And so when they actually did recover it, flat tires. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, listen, Curtis, what I'm saying is these kids are not bad kids, okay? They're New Yorkers. They're kids from the city, all right? They're, they're, they're never going to be perfect. You know, no, no, no kid in New York City is perfect. They all make mistakes. But let's not run them over and, and, and make chopped meat out of them. You know, give them a chance. You know, I was the same way, man. I still pop wheelies, man. You know what I'm saying, bro? Mike, how old are you? Mike, Mike, how old I'm, are you? I'm, I'm 71, man. You're 71 pop popping wheelie. wheelies out there? I'll pop a wheelie a block long, my man, on a Harley Davidson and do a side skid about a block long, okay? Mike. I mean, so I'm a stunt guy. Mike. I, 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 I wrote stunt, bro. As you know, 3rd Street used to be the haven for the Hells Angels forever. They sold that building for millions of dollars. And now they're up in the neck. They're in Throg's neck. Even they abandoned the Lower East Side, Mike. Well, listen, I'm never going to abandon it because I was born and raised there. It's the best neighborhood, the most quaintest neighborhood in the world. Uh, I know, I Mike. I, love it. I got shot on the corner of B and 6. I, I know about the Lower East Side. June 19th, 1992. Anyway, I guess I can't convince Mike to move to the Catskills. Who knew? We knew everybody was fleeing the Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina. The stats are in. People from New York City are fleeing to the Irish Alps, the Jewish Himalayas, up Route 17, and the locals there are complaining because there are too many folks from the five boroughs moving into the Catskills. Maybe we can convince Frank Morano, who loves casinos, to go there. It's quite the casino there. Hey, you hear that, Frank? Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now I have the time of my life. No, I never felt like this before. Yes, I swear it's a truth. And I owe it all. This could be Frank Morano and his lovely wife, Rachel, as they move to the Catskills, apparently with a lot of you. Somehow, I can't imagine Frank Morano with a pocket protector and lapel pins doing dirty dancing. That's really more Curtis Lewis style. Love that movie. Dirty Dancing, and in addition to the stars, who did it feature? Our own, our own cousin Brucey. That's right. Bruce Morrow was featured in Dirty Dancing about the Catskills. You hear him every Saturday night from 6 to 10. Did he blow that movie up or what? I remember watching that. I almost, I almost had to reach for the tissue papers. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it was like really a good, great movie. Cousin Brucie. Coming out. That was great. He should have got a supporting actor award. 
Unfortunately, the star, man, he's a good dancer. No longer with us. I think he passed away from pancreatic cancer. Much, much too young. Much and And the lead actress, although I think she um, had a uh, operation for, what was that, septum? Uh, you know, they always claim they're schnoz, you know. Come on, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Jennifer Grey, right? Why'd you do that? Jennifer! You were drop-dead gorgeous. Okay, you had a beak. It's okay. It's part of your ethnic background. Here, in our area, Italians and Jews, they got beaks. It's part of the culture. But, oh, you don't want to look like wasps. You got to go there. Oh, I, you know, I had an operation. I had septum problems. And I, come on. Anyway, was that not a great movie? And it was all about the glory days of the Catskills. Remember, you would have undergraduates coming in from the Ivy League schools. They'd be doing Simon Says uh, in the morning, busing tables. And then their job was to escort the daughters of wealthy and upper-middle-class Jewish families who would come there for the summer and engage them in conversation. And if they happened to be Jewish themselves, the boobies and the sadists would say, Oh, Let's get a shidduch here and do a match. <sighs> Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, what we thought was no longer a part, but of our memories has revived, has been resurrected like Lazarus from the dead. I am reading this. This is unbelievable. And I know a lot of you are out there in Delaware County, Ulster, Sullivan, Green County. Forget the other county out there. There's five of them. In the Irish Alps and the Jewish Himalayas, right up Route 17. You got the casino there now. That means Frank Morano will want to live there. I, I went there one time with Nancy. She's a card shark. I ain't like that casino. I don't like casinos. Catskills is never my style. I've been up there. I was there when they had the um, Trotter track in Monticello. That's gone. But could this be a revival of the type? Where all of a sudden they come in there and they rehab Grossinger's, Kushner's, Pines, Brown's, the Neville, the Tamarack. I mean, I know I'm not hitting all those old Bush Belt hotels, but is that a possibility? I mean, apparently thousands of folks from the five boroughs have moved to the Catskills because they don't want to go too far away to Florida or North Carolina or South Carolina. But... There's a decline. The drop in our city's population was dramatic the start of this year. 300,000 folks, gone. And they're not being replaced except by illegal aliens who are being flown in under the cover of darkness to Westchester County Airport by President Joe Biden, who wants to undo Title 42. That's the only way we're going to replenish our population at this rate. But apparently a lot of them, have chosen to go up Route 17 and go into the Catskills. This would be interesting. Now, uh, Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk are not in uh, in the morning in a few, uh, well, actually, it's uh, Monday, Memorial Day. Uh, but it'll be uh, CNC, like CNC Cola, Katsimatidis, and Seriani, you know, the Albanian bad girl. So John Katsimatidis, uh, Lydia Seriani, they will be the morning crew. They've done this before from 6 to 10. But if Sid Rosenberg were here and Bernard McGurk uh, for the morning show, both of them have families who live up in the Catskills. Uh, Sid Rosenberg, obviously, the Jewish Himalayas, his family. 
And, uh, gee, Bernie McGurk, uh, his father was a bus driver. He grew up in the Monroe Housing Project, South Bronx, across from the Sotomayor Housing Projects, renamed that. They had a cabin up there when his father was a bus driver, the Irish Alps. It's unbelievable. If ever, any of you are out there know this, you got to let me know. I'm surprised. I knew the exodus was large and growing. I had no idea people were fleeing to the Catskills other than to go, you know, lose their money at that casino. I think he's owned by a Malaysian guy. I forget. He's got a heliport there. You know, they come in, they bow to him. You know, it's like the savior of uh, Sullivan County, the Catskills. Oof. Don't beck. Don't buck. Don't bow to anybody. Let's go to Mike in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Curtis. How's it going on today? I've had better days. Yeah, sorry about that. I know better. Yeah. Listen, that last guy that was on Mike with, uh, I think it was Manhattan there, he was saying that the dirt bikes and the quads and everything should be allowed to ride and everything. Yeah, he's on the Lower East Side. He's a biker, 71, has his Harley. He says he can pop a wheelie for a block. I believe him. I do. I believe he can pop a wheelie for, you know, a block and everything. I don't blame him. I, you know, I rode. But these bikes, they're out of control. They're spinning around in front of my house, burning out, leaving rubber, making the donuts. So bad that I set the smoke alarm in my, inside my house on. <laughs> yeah. You can't make this stuff up. You know? <laughs> now, now, you see this, right, Mike? It's affecting you. I just walked out into the street after I finished a three to five slot. 200 of these marauders were coming down the avenue. I mean, popping wheelies, donuts in their ATVs, their quads. They, uh, people were terrified. They were terrified. No cops, no law and order, no Eric Adams. He knows they're out there. They're doing nothing about this. And this is going to happen all summer long. They already ran into a lady over up the block <sighs> three months ago. Which, which neighborhood is this in Brooklyn, Mike? I'm over in Garrison Beach. Wow, that would have never. Hey, years ago, Garrison Beach. No way you would have ever done that. Nope. You not know, at all. you know what would have happened? It's a self-contained uh, neighborhood. The men, they would have put their pants on after drinking their Rheingold beer, their Schaefer. They would have grabbed their Louisville Slugger, their Rocky Calavito bat, and they would have done justice. And nobody would have known about it. You wouldn't have needed to call the cops, right? Nope, not at all. But there's a few people that are getting disgusted. And just what you talked about is gonna, it's just about ready to happen. And that or they're going to move. Remember that great scene, Chaz Palminteri? He's at that gin mill in Arthur Avenue, Belmont. Remember the bikers are in there. And he tells his guys, lock the doors. And they hand out the Rocky Calavito Louisville sluggers and the bikers say, what are you going to do about it, huh? He said, watch. And they just waylaid those guys. Look, I know it sounds brutal. It sounds Neanderthal. But if the mayor isn't going to do anything about it, the elected officials, they're intimidating. Can you imagine any of these hipsters and millennials? Oh, please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Take whatever you want. But old school rules, look. These thugs and thuggets, they want to keep it real. That's what they say. They say they want to live the thug life. I say, okay, if the cops are told not to deal with them, 
then they want to keep it real? We'll show you how to keep it real. You see, it's nice. You hit them right across uh, the forehead, and the signature of Rocky Calavito is on their forehead when they're walking around, and they got a cast on. And let me tell you, I heard this from Benny Eggs Mangano, number two guy, to Vinny the chin gigante at the Sullivan Triangle Social Club, which was near the Guardian Angel headquarters in in, uh, Washington Square Park. We were in, at that time, the Judson Memorial Basement. Had a lot of problems. So any... Uh, Benny Eggs, he say, hey, you know, a lot of the guys, they don't like a kid. Let me tell you what we do. We don't kill somebody. We break their leg. We break their arm. They're in a cast for about four months. They walk around. They got the cast. People are signing their cast, you know. But everybody knows they got a cast. And they know on orders from uh, Benny Eggs Mangano. So other guys are not going to do the same thing because they don't want a cast. And if they don't listen the first time, we give them a second cast. They can have matching casts, an arm cast and a leg cast. And I sat there and I said, that makes a lot of sense. It's a hell of a lot better than killing them, right? And then all of a sudden, you may be up for a murder rap. He goes, you got it. You're a pretty smart kid. Kid! I was in my 20s. But then again, he was a jadru, a knuckle dragger. Anyway, let's go to James, who's calling from uh, Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, James. How you doing, Curtis? I've had better days, James. Um, I just wanted to bring up uh, uh, about these bikers, and they are out of control. You never catch one abiding by the laws. They're always in and out of the lanes. They make things super dangerous, and it seems to be under-regulated. You know, uh, I had this argument many times with my wife, Nancy, who at that time had an apartment in Bath Beach. You know, they had the Bath Beach boys, but this was uh, before her time. Those guys were maniacs. But she she likes those Italian speed bikes. She used to be a biker. I said, no, 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 you're going to be with me. You're not on no motorcycle. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, no motorcycle. That's a death trap. Uh, you could be obeying all the rules of the road. You could be a good biker as opposed to a bad biker. But I know how people in cars are. They're going to run you off the road. And then you got the grease and you got the oil and you got uh, all the potholes that are like uh, lunar, lunar landscape uh, holes that will just swallow you up. And a speed bike, that's different, man. You can't hit a pothole with a speed bike or you're going to go flying in the air. So we have an agreement. I used to love going up in helicopters. Then I go to Floyd Bennett Field. Psh, don't tell anybody. The cops would take me up for rides in the helicopters. Hey, look, if Bloomberg could go up there, right, and play a helicopter pilot, I could do that too. I wasn't the pilot. I just went up there. So I made a deal with my wife. No more motorcycles for you, and I promise I will not. Go in a helicopter, right? I think, look, that, you see, that's how you resolve your differences. Now, at a younger age, with my anger management issues, there would have been no compromise. But I've learned. I've matured. I understand that in order to get, you got to give. <laughs> Let's go to Tony in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Hey, Curtis. I come into the city maybe once or twice a week, to check on my mom. The other day I was crossing the um, Manhattan Bridge 
I got in on Canal Street driving in. There must have been a good, I don't know, I would say 50 to 100 of these dirt bikes. Middle of the bridge, they shut it down. They, they're wilding out. I was stuck over there for a good, I would say, 15 to 20 minutes. And this is an indicator of where the city is going. That you're, You should be kissing the ground that you lost the election because you don't want this type of heat on your head because we're at the point of no return in regards to New York. Now, Tony, what you're experiencing is what a lot of drivers are experiencing. Just the fact that they're dirt bikes. Why would somebody be permitted to have a dirt bike on the street, right? It's supposed to be on dirt, right? These kids, these kids, they they ride in packs. And the police, for whatever reason, I'm not going to say anything because you know how I feel about the police. Growing up, they, they were my heroes, but all of the sudden, they all lost their spine, and it's like nobody wants to do anything. I will tell you this, Tony. Cops have not lost their spine. Some of them are former guardian angels, so I have a regular contact with them. I know some of the deputy inspectors who used to be guardian angels. They've gone up the ranks, and they tell me how difficult it is that everything is stymied. One police plaza will not let them do anything. And this mayor who speaks out of both sides of his mouth one minute, hey, my cops, my police, don't mess with them, does not permit them to go out and do the job that they have to to take back the city. I'll give you a perfect example. We could go to Forest Park, which is where Glendale meets Middle Village meets Forest Hills right on Woodhaven Boulevard. Magnificent. It's got the gazebo. It's got the, uh, it's got that carousel now. It's great. You know, it took a lot of money to restore the carousel. It gives you a, a feeling of what Forest Park used to be like years ago. It's got the golf course. It's beautiful. You go there at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. These cars come in, and they got, like, refrigerators on top of the car. And it, what it is is, like, gigantic boom boxes. And they're playing this uh, bachata and this merengue, blasting it to the wee hours in the morning. They're playing it in Forest Park, which is in Glendale, Middle Village. People can hear it all the way in Maspeth. Other times, they all assemble in Maspeth, and people in Greenpoint on the other side in Brooklyn can hear it. The cops do nothing. I was aware of it, running for mayor. Eric Adams is aware of it. He has a chance to do something about it. We're now moving into the hot, sweltering days of summer. This is what you do. You gather them all up, all the motorcycles, the e-bikes, the ATVs, the quads, because most of them are stolen. Most of them don't have papers. And you bring them to a chop shop and you crush them. And then you send them to the steel mill where it gets remade into steel. You just crush them. That's it. They don't own them. They don't have papers. I guarantee you, most of these are stolen. And the cops know that if they stop them and they ask for papers, they're going to have to seize the bike and they're going to have to arrest the riders. And they've been told not to do it. Don't stir them up. We don't want a situation involved in which... My God, it may be the summer of 2020. You know, 
I don't want to upset Eric Adams. He's too busy running for president. Do your freaking job. You can go right out in the streets and you can see this. They're making a mockery of our city. There's no law. It's total disorder. Let's go to Bill, who's calling from Lafayette in New Jersey. Your turn is here on WABC, Bill. Hey, Curtis. It's been a long time since I talked to you back to the uh, Curtis and Kuby days. I used to call a lot. That was a great show. Um, you know, I'm wondering why, why the order has gone down that says um, stealing is okay. Breaking the law is okay. There's no consequence. You can't protect yourself or your property, whether it's a home or commercial property, and just watch them let take your stuff and run away with it. I mean, what the hell? You've been emphasizing this ever since, you know, you you came on tonight. You know, law and order are out the window, and this mayor is doing nothing. And I'll tell you what, I came on the radio, I think I was talking to Greg Kelly, and I was emphasizing the fact that you, Curtis Lewa, were the one hope for New York City, but you yourself said you only had a 20% chance of winning because of a Democratic liberal city like New York is going to get what they deserve. And that's what's happening. They're getting what they deserve. Control is out the window. And I would love to come into that city and have a slice of pizza and enjoy just walking around like it used to be. But I can't do that anymore because it's too damn dangerous. But I will tell you this, uh, Bill, um, for the middle age to the hipsters and millennials, they have choice. They can leave. They can go somewhere else. A lot of people are voting with their feet. They are leaving this area. They are leaving Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New Jersey in record numbers, not just for the crime, the cost of living, bad uh, public school educational systems, and the fact that they feel their voice is not, not being listened to. But it's the elderly. They're trapped. They're on fixed income. They can't leave. I feel for them. Even though my parents are no longer alive, they're from the World War II generation. Uh, And today, we obviously uh, saw that there were some remaining members of that generation who were paying tribute to our war dead. They know the true meaning of Memorial Day. It's not Happy Memorial Day. It's, It's a solemn occasion. I was a little disappointed with the renewal of the uh, commemorations, uh, the wreath layings uh, on Memorial Day and the parades. Some of the turnouts were minimal because people haven't been doing this for two years ever since the lockdown and the pandemic of 2020. I'm hoping it gets back on track. But it's the uh, older generation that has kept that tradition alive. Hipsters and millennials, nope. Uh, Veterans of Vietnam, some, but not most. Uh, veterans of the Persian Gulf campaign, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, very few of them are keeping that tradition alive. It may well be, and this is a bad thing to say, that our Memorial Day uh, commemorations uh, will be done virtually in the future because nobody's going to come out. Nobody's going to come out. I mean, that's that's an it doesn't matter what your politics is, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, apolitical, libertarian, progressive. Everyone recognizes people who lost their life to preserve our liberties need to be honored at least one day of the year. Memorial Day. It's not happening. 
Let's go to Michael, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yes. Hello. Uh, Mike, you, you know, gotta get you gotta speak you gotta speak right into your phone. You're reverberating. It's like you're on reverb. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay. Um, I had called up just when that. Uh, I guess you'd have to call him a John Drew. I don't even know what it means. But the guy that was talking just before the hour was up, and he said, "Oh, these are nice kids." No. These are thugs. I see them. I'm situated on First Avenue here in here in Manhattan, Upper East Side. I see these animals coming up, packs of 30, 40, 50. I counted as many as 60. They have no lights on. They go right through the traffic lights, and everyone else, the hell with them. So uh, I suggested to actually I saw a uh, counter terrorist uh, police officer. I said, why don't they just send up a drone, especially at night, where these animals can't see, notice the drone. The drones follow these guys back to their warehouse. Boom. Well, in fact, uh, that's very cogent of you, Mike. We have drones. The New York City Police Department has a number of highly advanced, sophisticated drones. They're housed out at Floyd Bennett Field along with their helicopters and their planes. Uh, in the summer of 2020, uh, Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, would not let them use drones. Eric Adams, the new mayor, has said he wants to use drones, but they haven't been used yet. Uh, I, 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 for sure, if I was lucky enough to have become mayor, those drones would be up there. They'd be working different neighborhoods morning, noon, and night. It's a great technology. And if you want to get the actual people who are responsible for the crimes, drones can help you do that so you don't grab the wrong suspects and then end up jacking them up, sending them away for 25 years to life for something they didn't even do. Facial recognition technology and drones can eliminate the mistakes that have been made over the years that have sent the wrong men or the wrong women to, to jail for crimes they didn't commit. Our number is one 800 uh, Let's go to Gina, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gina. Hi, Curtis. Curtis, I, I didn't get the guy's name who was calling from the Lower East Side who's in favor of, you know, championing these kids that he keeps calling good kids. You know, it sounds to me like he has an affinity with these young people because he identifies with them, being that he's a 71-year-old who can still do wheelies. That's why they respect him, and he probably can bring out the best of some of these thugs, you know, because they're looking for adults that they can look up to, that have something that they're interested in to share. I don't know, maybe if he's still listening, he can hook up with the police athletic league or some church like the Times Square Church. And try to get these kids in to be, like, convicted. That if they're stolen, you know, um, bikes, you know, to turn them in and get a job and buy their own bike. You know, like, as long as he's an adult that's interested, he should look for some support. Like, he was trying to say, we need to get these kids on our side. I think he's got something there, but he needs help. He doesn't know how to do it. Yeah, well, uh, you can't encourage that aberrant behavior, Gina. You can't encourage criminal behavior. But I, I understand if you notice I didn't 
break wild on him like I would sometimes in uh, our discourse. At 71, he said, hey, he pops wheelies for a block on his Harley. Sounded like he could do it. But you can't be promoting that. Got to tell you, they are a menace to society on the roadways. If you allow for that, they're going to get in disputes with people in trucks and cars and vans. There's going to be injuries. And it's like having the Hell's Angels come in and take over your town, like in those old B-grade movies. You know, in somewhere, nowhere, Nevada, they ride in on their Harleys. They take over the town. That's what it's, that's what it's like. Let's go to Mike in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Curtis. First of all, I voted for you, and I love you. Thank you. Okay. Now, I, I, you only, uh, I don't know if your, your assistant told you I'm, I'm, a, I'm a police officer. Ah, so, so you're active or retired? Um, active. Okay. So break it down for us. Tell us what's going on out there. Okay, real simple, real simple. If we touch a guy on a bike and he gets a, a, a broken nail, we're done. It's a wrap. We are responsible. We can be sued civilly. We can be responsible. And then, of course, you know what the word jam up means, right? When a cop is jammed up? Yes. Okay. Take, for example, um, just a couple of, about, about two months ago, we've been having a, a lot of cops firing on cars lately, if you noticed that, right? Oh, yeah. That happened, uh, in fact, uh, where two cops uh, were hit uh, by uh, felons fleeing them in Williamsburg, uh, and they ended up uh, pulling their weapon out and firing. Right. Now, you got cops that are jammed up for, for things like this in the line of duty. They're not drunk. They're not beating their wives. They're not out there waving guns like some crazy cops do to get in trouble. You know, those guys, I get it. They're in trouble. You get a cop in doing his duty in uniform, and then this administration just jams them up off the bat. You're suspended. They're modified. Uh, and this is not – we're not talking about two or three months pending an investigation, which you and I both felt go by real quick. This is – we're talking a year to 18 months sitting there, stagnant. Do you think these cops will ever go out and and wholeheartedly, in good faith, do their jobs, or they just that's it? The job, the city has killed them. It's broken them. No, they 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 they're going to fear that uh, whatever move they make will cause them to be put on the shelf, jeopardize the pension, jeopardize promotion, or even put them out walking a beat in Coney Island at four o'clock in the morning, morning on the jetty uh, assigned to the 60th precinct. There you go. So you got, you got you got hundreds of cops that are jammed up across the city. Many of them, many of them, for very you know basically for just doing their job for, for very not crazy things, and you can't blame them for never taking their hands out of their pockets again. You can't. The city because it's not the criminal that's their worst enemy. It's the guys at one PP that are judging them from from the golden seats. Yeah, I call it the eagle's nest. There you go. They, they stare down. They're not out in the streets. The previous uh, police commissioner wasn't. This uh, police commissioner is not out there in the streets, Seawell. It's not out in the streets. Come on. Come on, Harry. Oh, Seawell, she speaks so nice. She has no street smarts. She knows nothing about the NYPD. She should have been brought in by Eric Adams for a year as a deputy chief just to learn the lay of the land, all the problems uh, in one police plaza, all the egos you have to deal with, and then let her run the, the police department. You bring her in brand new, she's the head of the uh, detectives unit in Nassau County. What? What is that, 36 people? 
and she's going to run a department at 36,000 people, and she's considered an outsider? You think they're just going to absorb her into the system? No. Well, come on. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be perfectly honest. She's a beard for the mayor. Not sexually. He's running the police department. She is the face of the police department. She makes no decisions. Everything waits for Eric Adams. And unfortunately, the crime situation is moving so fast and furiously. This crime cannot wait for anyone. It's got to be dealt with by the deputy inspectors at the precincts, by the lieutenants, the sergeants who are supervising, and by the cops who are busting their shoes and the detectives who are resolving the crimes. It's called outsourcing to the streets. If you don't do that, you will lose control of the city. And that's what Eric Adams, he's losing control of the city because he's so anal. He wants to control everything. And when you want to try to control everything, you end up controlling nothing. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Loving this, right? Grunge rock, Kurt Cobain. Right before he put that shotgun underneath his uh, chin. Seeing you really loving this, Matt Blaze on loan from the other side of midnight, Frank Marano's version. He's trying to get rid of you. He really is. Wait, before Dominic Carter comes on, I'm going to be playing the documentary audio evidence so you'll see it from Frank Morano himself. He's trying to get rid of you. Just like Courtney Love got rid of Kurt Cobain! Oh, oh, wait, wait. This is perfect. Run, drop. I liked uh, Nirvana. I liked uh, Kurt Cobain. Uh, I didn't necessarily like Grunge Rock, but the uh, dope fiends like Grunge Rock because a lot of them were shooting up. They're going to love this. I was on the uh, subways and buses the last few days. Every second poster was telling city junkies, don't be ashamed to get high. It's an empowering move. Take out your needle that we're buying for you. You know, take that belt, uh, Matt, that you borrowed from me, strap yourself up, cook your cocaine, excuse me, your heroin, in your spoon, and inject it. But feel empowered. Feel good about your life. Just make sure it isn't fentanyl. I can't believe this. They was actually saying, use other drugs. Don't use fentanyl. We're paying for this crap. And then another one, make sure to keep your mask on while you're shooting up. I kid you not. You know how they have all those posters in the subway where they got masks on. Now they got masks that say, make sure to keep your mask on. Dr. Fauci's order from headquarters. While you're shooting up in the subway. This is crazy. We're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for this in which we're instructing people the right way to be dope fiends. 
But I and, represent science. And we're telling them, be empowered. Don't feel bad about yourself. Have self-esteem. You're a drug addict. You're a dope fiend. You're a mainliner. Be proud of that. You're here in New York City, and because of you, everybody's fleeing now to the Catskills. Yo, Shlomo up in the Catskills. He's there. He's got his little cabin. You know, he's from, uh... (laughs) oh, my God, I can't believe this. I got to get out of here. This is nuts. There is a poster campaign in the subways and buses that says, make sure to keep your mask on while you shoot up. And don't be ashamed to get high. You're entitled to have good self-esteem. Just don't use fentanyl. Wow. Kid you not. By the way, uh, I'm going to give you an update that a police officer was referring to police officers who have been shooting at suspects now who are in vehicles, flee from them when they're being stopped by police officers and then crash in to the unmarked cars or the marked cars. This happened on Saturday at the intersection of Broadway and Lorimer, right in the heart of Williamsburg, not the hipster millennial part, not the Hasidic part, the homeboy part. And there's a club there. It's like really bad. And so the cops in unmarked cars stopped these guys. They're from the 90th Precinct. Because they were responding to calls of shots fired at the nightclub. And so they start talking to one of these uh, mutts, one of these scales. He's 21 years old. Adrian Castillo Almonte. Never trust anybody with three names. Never. Probably will be a serial killer. Adrian Castillo Almonte. And so he disses the cops and he just jumps back into his white Honda CRV and speeds off. And he hits one of the officers as he's speeding away. Naturally, the cops pull out their toolies and they shoot at his car three times. And the officers uh, took pursuit. They grabbed him at Meeker Avenue and Vandervoort Avenue. And two uh, other people were taken into custody. Uh, We don't have their names. But this guy, Castillo Almonte, was previously arrested in January of 2021 in Queens and charged with assault with intention to cause physical injury to who? Cops. Are are we shocked? Are we shocked? But the brazenness, the guy's being questioned by police officers in uniform, so he can't say, oh, I didn't know they were 5-0. And instead of answering their questions, he jumps into his Honda CRV, crashes into one, speeds away, and he had assaulted cops in 2021. And he's going to get out because the DA in Brooklyn, Eric Gonzalez, is weak, is soft. In fact, if you get caught with a gun in Brooklyn, fully loaded, 9 millimeter. You don't go to jail, mandatory year. No. You come in once a week, they have a pizza party for you. They have a therapist who asks you, why is all the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms? Why do you feel the need to carry a fully loaded 9 millimeter? And the guy looks at him and says, when you have my skin and you live in my apartment and you live in my public housing project, Let me tell you, doctor or whatever your name is, then you can tell me what I should be doing. And naturally, the shrinkers, okay, I'm not your enemy here. This is ridiculous. Eric Gonzalez, DEA, he wanted to be the attorney general over my dead body. Oh, my God.
friend of the criminals. Now, <laughs> hey, we just got uh, an update from Kevin Drosch, who is our producer here all weekend long. I'm here all weekend. It's always broadcasting. Curtis, Kevin Drosch is here. He probably mutters uh, my name uh, with a few hours of sleep he got. He gets, but he just sent us in an update from Yonkers. Gee, Yonkers. Oh, that's the state senatorial district of Cousin Stewart, who runs really Albany because she has a supermajority there, along with the uh, crook, Carl Hasty from the Bronx, who is the speaker of the assembly, who replaced the Hyman Roth, the Meyer Lansky. As you know, I drove him back to uh, Otisville when I went to visit on him upon his release. <laughs> hey! You're not going anywhere, are you? No, Shelly. Uh, this is Shelly Curtis. Uh, really, Shelly Silva? Yeah, you better not be going anywhere. The next day, they shipped him back to Otisville. Good. Let me read you the latest from uh, Kevin Josh out in the streets busting his shoes. Officers took a report of a male making threats to shoot employees at the shipyard and also the village of Amaranek. The police department personnel were also threatened. The officers and detectives conducted an investigation and issued a warrant for the male. The male was apprehended in Yonkers and, in fact, was charged with making a terroristic threat, a de-felony, and aggravated harassment, uh, another major crime. They didn't give the color of the suspect. They abide by that policy. We never tell you the color of a suspect. Let me guess. Let me guess. The over-under point spread, Mm, dark-skinned, dark you. African-American, possibly. Anyway, the defendant was then arraigned on his charges and released no bail. Uh, Cousin Stewart's no bail policy. The defendant was transported to White Plains Hospital for a psychological evaluation and was released two hours later. (laughs) It's happening everywhere. And you want to let Kathy Holcomb... Nonsense? You want to put her as governor who helped engineer this no-bail policy? Her previous boss, Andrew Evilize Cuomo? The Democratic uh, state legislature at the state level, the assembly level, who want to turn these criminals loose? This guy is out in the streets. You know he's going to do it again. Good job, Kevin Drosch, but... You know, he can find 12 of those a day in Yonkers. Yonkers, uh, Schlobein Projects, Getty Square, Mumford Gardens, Nodine Hill. Been there many times. Up the hill, down the hill. Same problems as we have in the city. Same problems. Let's go to uh, Steve calling from Middle Village. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Um, it's Curtis. Um, I'm a little disappointed. First of all, I didn't see you at the uh, Forest Hills Parade. I was there today. I met you there a couple of times. But also, I was driving south uh, on Woodhaven Boulevard about three hours ago, just past Forest uh, Park, trying to make a left onto Park Lane South, and there were about 75 quads going north, running lights, doing popping wheelies, and just harassing. Just in, and he, some guy said they were they were don't drive on on the sidewalk. These guys are driving on the sidewalk. Yeah, no, no, it's all, it's all over the city. Uh, they've declared war again against city residents. They do this uh, after every Memorial Day weekend, and they will rule the city streets and sidewalks all summer long. They, you know they go in a forest park there. 
They got those refrigerator-sized boom boxes they put on their cars. They're pumping out that bachata, that merengue. The poor people in Glendale and Middle Village, they're hunkered down. They're hiding under their, their mattresses. They're calling 911. And you know what they're getting, Steve? They're getting ugats, bupkis. What? I'm heading, to, I'm heading to the park a lot now. I want to check it out because I heard what you're saying. I want to see if it, if it is how busy it is tonight. But really. Oh, it's popping. It's popping. I have a solution that I I I'm a I'm, I want to do a uh, I just want to put a rope across the highway and when they go across just pull it and let them all crash into each other. <laughs> now good or you know they have um, the special paraphernalia to stop people who are fleeing arrest. They throw it down. It's like claw hooks. And it just eats up your tires. And, you know, those ATVs and those quads have very expensive tires. Throw them down. That'll cost them a few hundred dollars. They won't be back. They won't be back, Steve. Another thing, are you going to be at any parades tomorrow? Yes. Yeah, remember, I got a broadcast tomorrow, uh, 12.15 to 1 o'clock. Normally, I would have been in Staten Island. The Guardian Angels will be there. Uh, So will Rudy Giuliani and Andrew Giuliani, uh, who's trying to become governor to put back law and order. And then I'll be at Little Neck and Douglaston after the show. Uh, So, yeah, I'm not this year. I'm not doing as many Memorial Day parades as I normally do because I've been broadcasting here at WABC the message of Memorial Day, which is to honor the war dead. Can't be in two places at the same time. I like an amoeba. You know, cut me right in half. Let's go to Adam in Oceanside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Adam. Hey, how you doing? Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Adam. Okay, so I was a cop for 28 and a half years, and I don't like that people keep getting on the cops when it's the politicians that the cops work for. So whatever the politicians say is what the cops got to do, just like what teachers have to do. Uh, when a teacher doesn't want to teach a curriculum, they get in trouble. But they don't seem to mind that. So uh, I'm kind of getting crazy about this. It's ridiculous that they keep blaming the cops for everything that uh, you know is done when it's the politicians who are clearly in charge. And they don't seem to get in trouble. They just keep getting elected. This would be my suggestion to the PBAs, of which there are many at all different levels. As you know, by law... The police must protect the elected officials. Some of them have uh, six, eight cops at their beck and call, 24-7-365, depending on on what strata they're at. I would suggest that the uh, PBAs deny them police to protect them. This is not a violation of the Taylor law. You know, if you went out on strike, that's a violation of the Taylor law. This would just be saying we're not going to protect elected officials who won't protect police and won't protect the people that they're in charge of. So we're not gonna we're not gonna take our assignments to be with you twenty four hours a day, to pick up your freaking laundry, to move your kids, to wipe their nose, uh clean your tuchus, and pick you up off of a bar when you're drunk as a skunk and you don't want page six to photograph you, and we're keeping that paparazzi at bay. You know what cops have to do for politicians. But you know what happened? Like, even when Bloomberg had his details, a lot of those cops, when Bloomberg retired, they took them with him, and now they're on his personal detail. 
it's all just part of the game. No one's gonna, if they get on the detail, they're going to stay on it. They don't care. Well, uh, look, look at him. Uh, forget anyway. right, right. But forget Bloomberg for because you know Bloomberg was the kind of guy who thought he could buy anything, buy anybody. He had another thing coming to him when he tried to win the Democratic nomination to become president, and he had to face off with uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. Wah! Man, she eviscerated him twice. I don't think he has his three-piece set left after those two debates, but look at Eric Adams. Eric Adams started in the primary as I did. I said, I don't want any police protection. I was entitled to that. I won the Republican primary. Uh, Eric Adams, to his credit, rejected it also. Then all of a sudden he gets elected mayor. He didn't just want the police detail. He wanted his brother Bernard to be brought back from parking cars at Virginia Commonwealth University. He had been a retired uh, sergeant in the police department. And his rationale was, I need my brother because he knows there are white supremacists trying to kill me. You know what I did, Adam? Because uh, I didn't want there to be any animus between me and Eric Adams. I figured, well, maybe he knew something I didn't. I went to Bed Bath & Beyond, and for an entire week, I stayed in that white sheet aisle. for. They had a sale, and I figured if there are any white supremacists, they're going to come to Bed Bath & Beyond. Hey, the only one who threatened them was Frank James, the black guy who shot 10 people, and then all of a sudden he had 40 cops protecting him. Not a white supremacist, a black killer. Yeah, but he's still where he is, and he's still doing what he does, and he cares less about the city than de Blasio did. Well, Adam, remember, he's got his sights around the White House. And I'm telling you, I know the guys he surrounded himself with. I grew up with them. Before he even gets to the White House, he may end up, uh, if not him, his aide-de-camps visiting the big house wearing uh, fortune off jewelry around their uh, wrists, courtesy of the United States federal government. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's, ah, look, it's Shlomo in Soho. You heard me call out your name, Shlomo. Yes, look at Twisted Justice. Ah, uh, she knows Shlomo. You see, uh, Carmelita Consuelo, what is your name again? Camelia from Canarsie, too, I see. But uh, I could have told you that schmuck, that putz, wasn't Shlomo. He heard me mention Shlomo, right, uh, up there in the uh, Jewish Alps, and you got suckered in. It's okay. It's okay. Let's go to Jay Will calling from West Haven, Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay Will. <laughs> Hello, my friend Curtis. Me and you grew up together. It is very good to talk to you. Ah, where, where, where did you grow up with me? Uh, well, you're from Canarsie, and I'm from uh, Flatbush. Oh, okay. So oh, yeah, it, down it, the corner of Flatbush and Church. No, and, I uh, used to hang out there at St. Uh, hey, I used to uh, play. Uh, I used to play softball there in St. Gregory's yeah, in the backyard. That's right, and uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> No, I had to run out of there a few times so when we won. Feet don't fail me now. The Irish guys in Flatbush, they didn't appreciate they didn't appreciate losing the guys from Canarsie. So it was like, feet don't fail us now. Let's get the hell out of here. You remember me chasing you? Yes, yes, because I hit that clincher over the church roof. I got lucky. I closed my eyes. I hit this clincher, 13-inch clincher. 
over the church roof. I thought it was Mickey Mantle. I'm going around the bases. The Irish guy said, he never hit like that before. And then they chased me. They chased me and everybody from Canarsie all the way down Church Avenue. Are, are you kidding me? Me and my grandfather had to go up and replace this slate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the best shot. At, I'm t- I actually closed my eyes. It was a 13-inch clincher. They don't make them that big anymore. And, man, I put everything behind it. Everybody said, oh, my God. It was like Robert Redford in The Natural. It, it, know, right? it hit up in the church roof. You're right. It hit the slate. The slate came down. It made the sign of the cross. And then all of a sudden, the Irish were like, ah, come here, my little pretty. Well, that can't yeah. be That can't be real. And boom, we ran. That's me and my grandfather. We were Irish. We had to go up there and replace it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the best shot. At, yeah, I wasn't very good at hitting. I was more fielding. I'd put on a show. Well, you know, basket I'm, catches. I'm, I, I listen, I'll, yes. I'll never admit to that. I won't tell anybody that. No, no, no. Um, it's okay. It's okay, Jay. Will. Enjoy the memory. See, I tell these stories and people say, ah, come on. It can't be true. Hey, Jay said, oh, yeah, me and my grandfather, we had to replace the slate. That was a close call. Those Irish guys, you're playing them softball, it's hot in the summer. You know, and by third inning, man, they, they're drinking that. They had those tall chafers. Ah, I'm not a drinker. Italians really are not big into drinking, but the Irish guys, I think they're weaned on that. Chafer, Rheingold, Ballantyne. So by the fifth inning, these guys were like in Never Never Land. And this guy. He threw one down the middle, 13-inch clincher. I said, oh, my God, bang, and it just kept going. I was like, oh, I'll never forget, like in the natural, like Robert Redford. Anybody who's ever been in that backyard at St. Gregory's knows what a shot that is. It happened one time, one time only, and I'm going to preserve that memory for all of my remaining life. Let's go to Jose calling from Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jose. Uh, look online at the Charles Camp. Let's go to Al in Yonkers. Boy, this is a Yonkers day. Uh, you're calling from Nodine uh, Hill? No, Curtis, I live in northwest Yonkers, which is up towards the river towns, not far from St. John's Hospital. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah I know I that. Do- yeah, I enjoy your show. You're, uh, you're a good talk show. You bring a lot to WABC. You know, I just wanted to say a quick question to you is, say, for instance, Andrew Giuliani, I'm a prime Republican voter in the primary. Say he wins the primary against Zedler, who's the party candidate. Uh, doesn't that then create a, create a problem? Because wouldn't that mean that Zedler would still be on the line, and then you would have uh, a three-way race? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, You mean Congressman Zeldin. There are four guys running. It's a heated Republican primary in the most recent Zogby poll. Andrew Giuliani is ahead 28 percent. Zeldin is at 23. Astorino is at 14. And uh, Harry Wilson is at 10. Uh, all of them are good candidates. Uh, just Andrew is Mr. Law and Order. He's got uh, Rudy's support. He's got my support. Uh, and let's just say he does win. Uh, the dilemma here is that uh, Congressman Zeldin has been endorsed by the conservative party. 
So he might run on that line. He might still have to run on that line, but will he do it aggressively or passively? This happened to his father, Rudy Giuliani. That's why I don't like Alphonse Alley Boyd D'Amato, because it was 1988, Rudy, who had been the number one U.S. prosecutor in the history of the Department of Justice, locked up more uh, mobsters choking on their lobsters, took out the five heads of organized crime, unheard of. And he wanted to save our city, but he had to go into a primary first. And who did Alphonse Alley Boyd D'Amato find to run against him? The perfume queen, Ronald Lauder, who spent millions to beat Giuliani. Giuliani won the primary and was running on the Republican and liberal line, even though, ironically, David Dinkins was the liberal. But Ronald Lauder was the conservative party candidate and stood on the line. And it may well have cost Rudy Giuliani from becoming the mayor in 1988. He only lost by 47,000 votes. And it's not that Ronald Lauder was running an aggressive campaign on the conservative line, but I'm sure he got some votes. I just don't recall what. Uh, Four years later, there was a guy named uh, 1% George Marlin, because that's all he got is a conservative 1%. Michael Long, who was the state leader, would not. Uh, endorsed uh, Rudy Giuliani because he really wasn't a conservative at that point. Uh, Rudy had the liberal line, which was really not a liberal line because the real liberal was David Dinkins. He ran as a Republican, David Dinkins as the Democrat. And Rudy uh, won by 57,000 votes. That's how close it was. Four years later, even though there were 2,000 dead every year, murdered, 5,000 unsolved shootings. But the preponderance of uh, registered uh, voters in New York City is they're Democrats. And Rudy always had the problem 10% of the Italians would never vote for Rudy because their allegiances were to Italian organized crime. So um, now you know the rest of that story. Coming up, the Animal Welfare Edition, the most listened to, most called in segments uh, of uh, my various stints on the weekend. And then you're not going to want to miss it. When Dominic Carter is here from 12 to 1, I'm going to do the wraparound with him. And oh boy, surprise, surprise, Dominic. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Gee, was that guy talking about the quads, the four wheels, and the ATVs, uh, the all-terrain vehicles that uh, you're in support of, Nancy? Uh, I don't believe so. Hmm. So quadrupeds. Oh, okay. It's Noah's Ark. It's the Animal Welfare Hour. That's correct. Question here. I understand you and so many others were out near Central Park. Uh, it wasn't celebrating summer solstice. <laughs> you weren't uh, in Strawberry Fields across uh, from where John Lennon and Yoko uh, lived, unfortunately, when he was uh, assassinated, uh, the Dakota. But 
I noticed you and hundreds of others were celebrating, what do they call that, like Stonehenge, Manhattanhenge? Uh, yeah, Manhattanhenge. So, uh, you know, uh, two, it's like two different times during the year when the sun is setting, it's uh, perfectly <clears throat> aligned with like the grid pattern of the New York City street. So if you look down the center of any New York City street, um, you know, you're going to see the sun directly falling in the center. So it's pretty cool. So describe what was transpiring out there, because uh, I noticed that you were like standing in the middle of roadways with uh, dozens of other people. Yeah. So initially I went to a spot in Central Park, but as the sun started to get lower, I realized the trees at the end of this block was going to um, you know, actually blockade the sunset. So I went to 86th Street and you know, they have the uh, transverse, wherever it goes across the park. And right there, it's a totally open view. Um, and, you know, it has like that little tiny meridian in the center of the road where, you know, when you're walking through, you know, if you need to stop there, the light changes. But people were actually just all lined up on it. And then when the light was turning red, they would jump in the middle of the street so they can get like a better view of it. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Wow. You're oftentimes in Central Park, uh, baying at the moon, the blood moon, the half moon. Uh, you're, you're like totally into that stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't really do too much baying these days, but I do walk around the park a lot. So how did people know about this, that so many people would run out there because it's now trending? Yeah, so actually, that you know, I, I I forget when it happens sometimes, like, unless I read it in something, and I'm on, but I'm on Twitter all the time, and I see all the trending hashtags, and I saw that, I said, oh my gosh, I have to, uh, you know, I have to make sure I go out there, so I, I made sure I knew what time the sunset was, and I planned, like, 20 minutes ahead just to get to a location. Wow. Well, okay, because uh, I have absolutely no idea without your help. I wouldn't know about all these trendy things going on involving partial eclipse, full eclipse, blood moons, Manhattan henge. But anyway, let's get back. Let's get back on the topic of animal welfare uh, that, again, as a person responsible for mass slaughter, like we had discussed two weeks ago, the 18-year-old who drove 200 miles to try to kill as many African-Americans as he could. Uh, there was a uh, wake today and funeral of the eldest uh, victim of his uh, in East Buffalo. Uh, the vice president was in attendance with her husband and other notables. Uh, but it sort of reminded me that we had the discussion that in looking at the background of that 18-year-old who had a 180-page manifesto outlining what his intentions were and how he wanted to eliminate black people and Jewish people, that he had uh, grabbed a feral cat uh, to protect, he said, his domestic cat. And he tortured that feral cat. He whipped that feral cat. And then he used a hatchet to chop off its head, striking it 20 times and had bragged about that. Now we see the gunman in Texas as they uh, investigate his background, this 18-year-old, that there was a TikTok video of him driving around that town in the passenger seat. A driver was driving him around, and he was holding up a dead cat and laughing at anybody who would look at him. 
There, there's a connection here. Could you explain to us uh, the the killing and the torture of animals, and then possibly going uh, further to kill, torture, and maim people? Well, I mean that's a, a natural uh, progression, sadly, and it's uh, consistently seen in individuals who do commit uh, sort of physical assaults against individuals, or obviously even further anything related to that. Uh, oftentimes they do start as a young person abusing animals and torturing them in a variety of ways. Uh, now, in terms of like what types of, uh, you know, the many levels of failures that uh, that accounts for why this stuff is happening, I think the idea that these things are posted online, I mean, this is normal, almost like policing work, if you would, right? Because they they look at stuff online, they can see who gangs are and stuff like that. They should be absolutely policing uh, social media for very clear trigger types of things. I mean, the fact that you're speaking of animal abuse, I mean, you can figure out a way to hone in on those people early on and hopefully just get them the help they need because, yeah, animal abusers usually progress to individuals at some point. Wow. Uh, I know there have been uh, extensive studies on this, not just uh, in the United States but all over the world, and yet this would have been one of the sim- signals to us that should have uh, been a warning signal. A guy who had posted information that he had uh, savagely killed his feral cat outside of his house, the, bu- the buffalo killer and the Texas killer, who had killed a cat and paraded it around in a car and was laughing violently and doing a TikTok video about it. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's, this isn't something that you would, I think any normal person is going to dismiss. It's not, oh, this is kid behavior. No one knows anyone who's a kid who does that who's normal because there's something really off with that. So as a young person who's on these sites as well, I'm sure they were mortified. So, you know, it'd be great if there's ways to actually report to these companies a little more effectively, like when someone's doing something, because it is, you know, within their ability to, uh, you know, shut things down or then do like, you know, research, figuring out who these people are, because I mean, how can I mean, especially posting this stuff? I mean, it's abnormal. If anyone sees their kids doing that, hopefully they realize it's not kid behavior. Something's amiss with this child. I think uh, what would help, because I went through that same syndrome of watching uh, some of my classmates, one uh, crazy guy, Ronald Finkelstein, who was torturing animals. And uh, he was a brainiac at that time, a brilliant guy, did great in math and science, and I sat right next to him. I was his human Prozac to keep him uh, calmed down because he had an anger management issue, and in return, I would be able to cheat and do well on my math and science uh, test. But he went on to kill three guys that I grew up with, and nobody, nobody thought that Ronald Finkelstein would get an AR-15 and kill three guys, this was back in uh, about 1972, go on a five-state escape from the FBI, only to be eventually arrested and found guilty uh, of executing them because they were stealing boats uh, over in the basin by Howard Beach uh, between Broad Channel. And the fact is, when we look back on it, based on those studies, he was giving every indication that he could exactly do a similar thing with humans. Look, he was bright. He was in the SP class. He wasn't hanging out at that time with uh, killers and marauders. But he showed every signal because he loved to torture and abuse animals. 
that he might eventually escalate that and do likewise to humans. Yeah, I mean, and, and did you think that when you were younger and interacting with him that he had that capability? Did you re- realize that as a young person yourself? No, because I said to myself, this guy is a schlubby Jewish guy. You know, he knows math. He knows science. He's not like my Supreme Cuisine cousins, you know, who are already uh, plotting the demise of people in an assorted way. So I say hey, he's harmless. But in reality, these studies indicate, Nancy, that no matter who yeah. they are, what their background is. They could be rich people, middle-class people, poor people, educated people, uneducated people. If they start torturing animals, there's a very good possibility that they're going to be an enemy of human beings, all kinds of human beings. Yeah, that's true. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, I see, since we are honoring our war dead uh, this Memorial Day weekend, that there's a story here that will bring uh, a lot of knockers, a lot of joy to people because apparently there is an ex-soldier who trained shelter dogs to become veterans' companions. Yeah, that's correct. And to your point, uh, this is a perfect example of uh, great honoring of this holiday with the appropriate person. So, uh, he's yeah, he formerly was a dog trainer uh, in the U.S. Defense Department. And so he did that for a number of years, and then he realized, I think he was stationed in Afghanistan, he realized there was such a positive effect where these dogs were having, especially on children who had experienced war. So then he basically, uh, a couple years ago, developed this concept of a rescue and then, um, you know, adopting out, uh, you know, rescue dogs to, uh, you know, veterans uh, free of charge and, you know, with training and, you know, for people who have, like, PTSD, things like that. So, the, you know, he provides training. He does all this great stuff. His, his name's Chris Hardy. And, yeah, so he, I mean, again, he recognized that he saw it, like, on the ground in war-type situations, how helpful they were. And so he's just bringing this concept home to uh, veterans, which is, you know, such a great, you know, idea. It It puts the animals with the people, and it's a perfect match. And should be uh, expanded into the veterans' hospitals around our country. Uh, I know I visited uh, quite a few of them, uh, East Orange, uh, the one over on 23rd Street they're planning to close that, one in St. Albans, Queens, the one up in Kingsbridge. Kingsbridge, they could really use that. There are a lot of vets there. You can see there are a lot of anxiety. They're on edge. Uh, I mean, and and it's usually not a really nice uh, warming environment, so if you if you don't want to you know make it more you know a, a happy place for these people to be, why not introduce something like a pet, an animal, you know, a, an animal per room or per floor or whatever? I mean, at least it gives you that interaction. That, I mean, I think that's fantastic. See, they're planning on closing Fort Hamilton too. That's a facility they could use. That oh, some well, of the vets will yeah. be out there tomorrow. Uh, to observe the commemoration uh, yeah. uh, when the Bay Ridge uh, Memorial Day Parade passes by Fort Hamilton. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now let's go across the country to Cali, Cali, California. And apparently they're having a problem with sick and dying pelicans Anybody who's ever gone up uh, Pacific, uh, uh, the Palisades, the Pacific Highway, uh, Highway Number One, right through Carmel, which is where Clint Eastwood used to be mayor. It's really gorgeous. But 
what's very striking, uh, Nancy, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to be there, is a, a lot of pelicans. And we don't really see that here on the East Coast. What's happening to them in California? So in the um, since, you know, past few months, but you know, now they're keeping track of it. So wildlife authorities, they're not sure of what's happening with the California brown pelican, but there hundreds of them have died since May 13th. So, uh, you know, they're either finding them or people are bringing them, alerting them to the fact that there's an injured pelican. They bring it into the facility, but then shortly thereafter it dies. And a lot of times it's also found with like um, some, some sort of secondary injuries. But on these uh, pelicans that have been coming in the hundreds, you know, since, since the, uh, you know, mid month, they're realizing that it's, they're dying from not an illness or a parasite, but from starvation-related problems. So, you know, the interconnectedness of all of these animals and, you know, maybe a, a thing with the environment. I mean, so there's some food source, you know, seemingly that they're missing because they're literally dying, dying of starvation. And But they have no other explanation at this point what's going on. But, I mean, that's, a, like I said, think to think that their food source might be completely cut off. I mean, that's a, a big problem. Oh, they're magnificent birds, pelicans. I mean, again, uh, a lot of people uh, don't have access to them uh, here on the East Coast like they are on the West Coast. But to watch them soar, watch them dive into the ocean because they have the uh, huge uh, storing area where they'll actually uh, use it almost like a derrick to uh, go into the ocean and take the fish just really an incredible, incredible bird. Anyway, our numbers uh, for any of you who would like to uh, ask a question uh, of uh, Nancy, who is our animal welfare expert and the animal rescuer par excellence. That's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, um, is this Lake Tahoe in which they have a bear situation, or is it just <laughs> called Tahoe Bears? Well, no, yeah, this is... Just this particular um, sort of focus of uh, wildlife biologists and the bears in this territory specifically. And what specifically is affecting them? Well, now, here's the curious thing. I, I think this is an example of when money isn't allotted appropriately for really moving forward any meaningful research. They're, they're trapping bears they're you know supposedly taking DNA samples, doing a quick you know once over, but really they're tagging them. That it seems to be like the main purpose of this whole experiment because they're trying to figure out uh, where do they go when they're trying to get food that's in conjunction like in the in uh, human territory, so trash cans or restaurant bins or things like that. So their whole focus, even according to them, is they're trying to. Uh, you know, find out where they're going because there's extensive damage to homes and cars, supposedly, right? Now, so it has nothing to do with the welfare of the bears. And the people who are bear advocates are saying this is completely ridiculous. Like you have bears who've even like ripped off their ears because they're trying to get that goofy big tag off. And it's not doing anything really helpful for them. I mean, again, it's it's objective. I mean, whatever it's accomplishing is like nebulous at best. There's nothing they're doing. And the people who live in the area, they even say, oh, well, we understand, you know, we're living in the coexisting environment. So we make our stuff where, you know, we have the closed trash cans and we, you know, they know that they have to take care of it. 
So it doesn't seem like there's any purpose to this whole experiment. And I think the money could be way better used to do something that's like help forwarding the species, not this this purpose. I will tell you this. If bears had an option to go to the armpit of Nevada, Reno, where your brother lived for a while, yeah. or over the mountains where you have to put chains on your car in the middle of summer because you all of a sudden go from this valley, which is hot. you got to put chains on your car. You're going through the mountains to Lake Tahoe. I think if the bears were permitted to gamble, they'd all be in uh, uh, the lounges there in Lake Tahoe <laughs> and not in the armpit of Nevada, Reno. As long as they don't have tags on their ears. Oh, my God. Reno compared to Lake Tahoe. It's like, oh, a third world country. Anyway, (laughs) I see that tracking coronavirus in animals is taking on a new urgency. Is that because of this uh, staggering statistic you showed me earlier today before I returned to WABC to continue uh, the programming that there's actually more infection of coronavirus uh, involving human beings now than there was a year before? Yeah, so they said uh, this Memorial Day versus last Memorial Day, uh, it's five times more uh, COVID cases. So I guess as a, they're, the indication or they're, the implication rather is they're trying to say that it's going in a, a increasing direction. But, you know, again, given that it was already low at that point, the five times versus a very low thing isn't as high as it sounds. A question, uh, uh, how do you know if your pet, say your dog or your cat or another animal, has coronavirus? Because it has been proven that animals can have coronavirus, right, or a variant? You, you know, and, and that, that, is a, that is a problem right there because I don't think many people would contemplate bringing their pet to the vet for that purpose now, whether or not uh, veterinarians might be telling clients who come in for any other reason, oh, why don't you go ahead and get this test done? Maybe that's part of their normal protocol right now. Um, I know, uh, you know, I had that once done, so but I didn't even think about it. I wasn't anticipating that I was going to get a result to that test. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how they would tell with pets. Uh, that seems kind of difficult to be able to figure that out. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As we continue with our Animal Welfare Hour, it is the most called into, the most participated with of any of the hours that I do here at WABC. And it features my lovely wife, uh, Nancy, who is a uh, animal rescuer uh, par excellence. Let's go to the phones. It's Sherman, who's been patiently waiting on the line in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sherman. Thank you very much. I'd like to quickly say I am from Canarsie, like yourself, Chris. I'm very proud of that. Um, uh, I'd like to ask your lovely wife a simple question. I have an uh, outstanding black cat that I found on the street here in, in Harlem where I live at. Uh, somebody left her on top of a duffel bag. Uh, she was there for two days, I guess, waiting for the owner to come back. The second day I saw her, uh, I decided to pick her up and bring her home. Uh, so I took her to the vet. She's got all the shots and everything. Here's the situation. She's having breathing issues, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like, um, you know, like a wheezing sound. Uh, my ex-wife has asthma. I let her stay at my ex-wife's apartment for about three weeks to a month, and she came back with this breathing issue. Uh, she had had she's never had any breathing issues whatsoever before. I have no asthma. I'm in fantastic shape. I don't smoke. I don't smoke pot. Um, so 
uh, please tell me, well, well, what can I do? I love this cat very much. She sleeps on top of me. Like, if I go to bed, I'll wake up. She's sleeping on, <laughs> on, on my back if I'm laying on my – yeah, or if I'm laying on my back, she sleeps on my – she goes to sleep on my chest. She follows me from room to room. She talks to me. <laughs> when I come in the house, she'll meow me for about nine minutes. Um, uh, and how yeah. long ago did you – how long ago did you find this cat? Uh, uh, she's been with me now about maybe four or five years. Oh, four or five years. Oh, wow. Okay, and now just yeah. developing this. Yeah. And how old is the cat? I really don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not good with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. She's, yeah. I mean, obviously, as a as an initial caveat, I mean, it, it's it's always best to just try to figure out um, by bringing them to a vet because, I mean, it's hard to sort of diagnose what this could be. But um, no. I have one cat who now, as it's older, uh, it seems like, you know, the immune system uh, struggles quite mm-hmm. a bit. And so, mm-hmm. you know, one of the issues with a lot of younger cats, you know, when they're outside too, it's like they get upper respiratory infection. So it's like, in a sense, my cat almost has like a consistent sort of underlying cold going on. And the way that I'm currently mm-hmm. um, working with it is it's like uh, antibiotics that are, you know, given periodically, you know, just can't keep them on all the time. But, you know, it, that's how it worked out for me. But I would just say, like, that could account for the wheezing-type issue because as they get older, mm-hmm. their immune system struggles a lot more to just do it. So it's like it might almost be like a constant, you know, just an, an immune issue right now going on. And so it needs as much help as it can get. It could be different supplements, but, I mean, that's what my thing was with my cat. But, again, I would totally suggest just bringing it for a visit and then just seeing what – or even maybe calling them on the phone. Maybe they can even do, like, a phone consult with you. Okay. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll definitely do that because she she has another cat too. This cat uh, died uh, about a year ago, and before this cat died, this cat developed some breathing issues as well. She had a Russian blue cat, and oh uh, yeah, yeah, I know those. And, yeah, and right, and so he started developing some breathing issues too. You know, it's, it's not like it's intentional on her part. She, you know, it's not coming from a bad place. It's just, you know, she moved out and moved over here to this apartment, and she ended up getting asthma. And then this cat, this Russian cat, a blue cat that died over a year ago, he started having some breathing issues too. You don't think it's something tied to that apartment? Where it's, yeah, look, look, you know? Sherman, that makes uh, a lot of sense. It could be black mold. It could be anything that's in that apartment that's causing uh, your former wife to have uh, respiratory problems. It would likewise be a cat. The cat you were making reference to Sherman about, Nancy, is our cat Wolverine, who not only has respiratory issues but also has HIV. Well, yeah, so and and what was unfortunate was when initially the cat was uh, rescued from the shelter, now they did that test on the cat. So, you know, I got the paperwork about it, and it was negative for this. But then all of a sudden, um, a couple you know weeks back, when I had the testing done, it, is, it turned out that he's positive for it. So, you know, had I known that, I could have been, you know, treating him accordingly with this in mind. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of annoying that that happened. But, you know, then it makes me realize going forward, you know, even if you get a singular test, it's always better to, you know, maybe retest at some point. Um, just to verify that the first test was done correctly. And he wheezes at times. Uh, yeah, he does. He does. So he struggles with his breathing. Uh, so I, I would think uh, some of that comes with age, but some of that also comes from, uh, uh, as you said, the lowered immune system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, let's go to Ann, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Ann. 
Oh, thank you, Curtis. And, uh, oh, it's wonderful to hear you, Nancy. Um, and, and Curtis, you too. I'm so glad you're on all the time. Um, uh, I, want, I have a question, Nancy. Uh, if you have two male dogs and they're fighting and you send a female dog in between, does that stop the fight? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> let's see. I, I mean, I uh, let's see. Maybe that's more of a question for Curtis. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I've been uh, subjected to uh, households that I've walked in and I've seen fighting dogs there, and there is no way that a female getting in between two males, uh, if they've been trained to fight, is going to in any way have a calming effect on them. Do you, uh, are these your two specific uh, dogs, Ann? No, uh, this is something that I heard, that if you had two male dogs fighting and you send a female in between, they stop fighting. And so I thought I was a substitute teacher. So I I did, I did would do that. I'd just break up the fight, and it worked. Oh, no, no, yeah, I, definitely. There's no doubt about that. But I've never seen that occur when dogs were involved, particularly uh, Rottweilers, pit bulls. Uh, those kind of dogs that we associate with being fighting dogs, they can be pretty ominous. Unless maybe the, the, the two male dogs, they're like little dogs, and then the female you send in is like a huge dog. <laughs> maybe that would calm the situation down. Yeah, well, if uh, anybody out there is aware of it, because obviously I'm stymied, uh, Nancy is stymied, uh, Anne is wondering, you know, wondering uh, out loud, <laughs> If, in fact, that would have a calming effect on two uh, dogs who were squaring off at one another by putting a female dog in between them. Our numbers are 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Patrice, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Patrice. Yes. Happy Memorial Weekend and week, uh, Curtis and Nancy, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, about that previous call, I don't think it has anything to do with the gender of the, of the animal or the gender of the person. I think it's if, if the two male dogs or two dogs are distracted, uh, I think they'll they'll stop fighting, you know. And uh, if they're both cuddled, and uh, I think uh, everything will be fine. I studied animals um, before I got accepted into a medical school, and I just wanted to mention I'm not a veterinarian. <laughs> I went up to medical school, but um, I but uh, I think if if your dog or cat is having trouble breathing, uh, it should be taken to a vet because it's possible if it if it does have COVID, that that could be one of the um, one of the symptoms of COVID possibly in, in the animal. Now, Patrice, yeah, uh, excuse yeah. me, Nancy. Patrice, uh, you were studying uh, uh, animals uh, at first. How come you didn't uh, decide to become a, a vet? Why did you move in the direction of becoming a medical uh, uh, doctor? Well, I wanted to be a medical doctor ever since I was about two years of age, two or three. Uh, my grandmother uh, had a surgery uh, books in, in, in the library. I, I was raised by, by my parents, and my grandparents, who had a large library, had a surgery book. So I would sit in the library. I would sit in the library, and uh, you know, enjoy looking at the pictures, and then eventually being able to read the book. So I always wanted to be a physician, but I went to, I was first accepted to Howard University, and Howard had a, had great programs 
but um, I had to do a major in what was what is called zoology, which is <laughs> animal biology, yeah. uh, as such. Uh huh. But I wanted to ask you a question, Curtis, if I could briefly. Sure. Did, did you say that uh, a dog or cat had HIV? Yeah, that was explained to us uh, by a vet. Am I uh, correct on that, Nancy? Oh well, yeah. So they call it. So they call it um, FIV. Uh, yeah. So it's like the, um, the you know the name they sometimes refer to it as is like kitty AIDS. But that's been a little bit of a misnomer in a sense because it's not the same type of thing. But that's just what they call it. Um, like FIV, and then the other one is when they have a feline leukemia. So those are like the two big main tests they do whenever you have a cat to see because those are, you know, I guess very prevalent or could be, you know, something you need to be made aware of like quickly with them. Yeah, in fact, Patrice, when you look at uh, our cat, Wolverine, he has been depleted. There's no doubt his immune system has uh, significantly been impaired. Uh, So uh, we have to be extraordinarily careful in his presence uh, because he does not have that strong immune system like the other cats. Great show, and thank you both. Thank you, thank you. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Victor, who's calling from Putnam County. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Victor. Hello, Curtis and Nancy. Um, Curtis, I have a question. For either one of you, I have a, we're not sure how old he is. He's a beagle that we adopted, but he's somewhere around 15 years old, and he has a torn gallbladder. And um, we're just, we were given the option of possibly doing a surgery. Uh, he's on some some medicine right now. What can you tell me about that? Wow, I mean that that's that's a, a definitely out of my area of expertise. Um, yeah, I don't know much about that. I got to be honest. Uh, Did uh, Victor were they suggesting surgery to remedy his torn gallbladder, your dog's uh, gallbladder? Yeah, they one option is to remove it, and one option is to just see if the medicine works, but. I think he's in pain. He's not eating. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, and, and that's the thing, like, um, right, also, um, I'm sure that they would tell you, oh, maybe given the age, I mean, is, is like, is the surgery that could, the prognosis of that, I mean, that's a tough thing when they're older, but at the same time, like you said, if he's not eating, that's, I mean, that's go-to time, like, that's a really a big thing, so... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, my heart goes out to you. That's now, a, now, Victor, uh, the vets that you're dealing with on that, if you were to uh, move forward and have surgery for your dog, have they priced it for you? Have they given you a general price of what it would cost? Do you have any insurance that can cover it? You know, pet insurance. Good question. No, no insurance, but they did tell us um, there's a 60 to 65 percent chance of him surviving possibly and it's from eight to ten thousand dollars Ooh, yeah yeah oh my god i know of people victor who have actually uh, done everything they could to get surgery for their family member their pet their dog or their cat and oftentimes if given a choice 
between another human family member and their dog or their cat, you know who would lose out on that. I know. You're right. The human family member. And and where are you located at? Uh, we're in Putnam County near Brewster. Okay, because I know, for instance, in um, New York City, so the ASPCA now, I know someone who a couple weeks back, they had brought their cat to uh, like an emergency type vet and it, it, something needed to be done and it was in that same sort of uh, ballpark. And they were able to go to the ASPCA and they do, I mean, there's a few places, it, so in your area, there might be a place as well where they're willing to um, do these things. And they actually did a free of charge, which was like incredible. So, you know, it's, I yeah. mean, there are options to maybe even look into uh, some places that might be local to you that would offer the same services because they do exist. I'm just not sure in your area. I, I just know in New York city, like that's a specific thing. Someone had told me just recently. Thank you. I appreciate that. And You're welcome. Uh, you guys do a great job. Both of you hurt Curtis, keep it up. Uh, I love listening to you. You're the best. We're uh, we're in your corner up here. Believe me. Thank you, thank you. We have many, many listeners at WABC uh, throughout the Upstate area. I know recently uh, Andrew Giuliani was up in Binghamton, uh, New York, which is actually closer to the uh, Pennsylvania border. Uh, had a few rallies, and it was incredible the number of people he said were listeners to WABC in what appears to be so far away, but not when uh, you have the power of, power of 50,000 powerful watts of sound, the number one news talk station in the nation, which right now at dusk can be heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker and the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> anyway, let's go to uh, Christy, who's calling from Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Christy. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. Um, I have to tell you this story. My son-in-law, big strapping guy, and his son, another big strapping guy, football player type, you know, in high school. Anyway, they were, you know, weightlifting and all that kind of thing. And they had a pit bull and they had a boxer dog. And the boxer dog did something the pit bull didn't like. The pit bull was, you know, great with people. But... They started fighting. So these two big guys are on the pit bull trying to stop him. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And my son, who's very meek and quiet and lovely, he goes in the kitchen, he gets a glass of water and throws it on them, and it's over. Oh, my gosh, that's great. (laughs) That was it. It just ended it. Well, that's that's a great story. Well, that, that that is that is interesting, Christy. Uh, when I was a kid, and they used to be wild dogs, they would normally hang out at junkyards or they'd be in the lots, what we call the lots. And sometimes we'd come across them, and they'd be fighting, uh, and they would appear to be rabid. And we would throw a bucket of water on them. And you're exactly right; they would run in different directions. <laughs> but it was such a funny scene because these. Big strapping guys, and they're on this big dog. And all it took was a glass of water, and it was over. <laughs> but I have one other quick, interesting story. I had a beautiful uh, gray and white cat. I adored him, Mr. Baby Bear. And 
<laughs> and he had like a little black nose and a white squiggle that went up the side of his face. He had big almond-shaped eyes. And he was born on the floor next to my bed. Anyway, so his mother didn't really want to nurse him and take care of him. So I became really, we became like real buddies. Yeah. I'd walk around and he would he would suck on my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he lived to be 21. But uh-huh. I took a road trip across to California. And so... Um, Oh, wait, I forgot. That wasn't the story I was going to tell you. But anyway, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I meant to tell you about his mother. Well, you had a, you, it must have been really uh, good. Chrissy, you, uh, you had a, a Joe Biden moment there. Uh, I, I, no, I just got, you know, I love Baby Bear. But anyway, I love them all. <laughs> but anyhow, all our cats were rescue cats. So the mother cat was giving birth on the floor next to my bed. And I was going to school, and I had three children, and I'm, you know, trying to get everything done. I had to get to, to school that day, and all of a all of a sudden, I hear this yell. And as soon as I heard this yell from the mother, I said, "Oh my God, the baby's died." And the reason I knew it was because when I was 16 years old, and Grace Libertelli, her mother was standing at the grave letting they were you know when they lowered the grave while you were still there you know the the coffin into the um and she tried to jump in after the daughter as they lowered it and she let out such a, a howl such a scream so when i was at the kitchen sink doing the dishes and the cat had come in she was trying to get me to go in with her into the bedroom I said, I'm sorry, honey, i got to keep going. I have to get to school. And I heard that yell, and I said, oh, my God. The cat died. I knew. I ran into the bedroom, and the baby kitten exhaled and died. Oh, now, oh my gosh. if that's not like a human emotion, what is? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just like the mom. Just like what I heard from Grace Libertelli's mother. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right away. Well, thank right you. Away. Thank you for sharing that with us, Christy. When I hear people say they don't have feelings, you have no idea what you're talking about, people. Absolutely. Well, you know, the thing you've shown me, uh, Nancy, and I've seen when the uh, mother cow gives birth to the calf, and then uh, a field hand will come out in a truck and take the calf away. Mm-hmm. And then you see the mother cow running desperately after the truck, crying, screaming. And you say to yourself, oh, come on. That's I mean, it's, it's just incredible how much suffering is allowed to go on. I mean, those are real emotions. Um, I, I, it just blows my mind that this can happen. Yeah, there are, there are videos out there, ladies and gentlemen. I suggest that you look for them, you Google them. Uh, you have a cow gives birth to a calf out in the field. The field hand comes, puts the calf in the back of the truck. The mother will never see the calf again. And as the field hand pulls away in the truck, you see the mother desperately running the cow, the mother cow desperately running in the direction of the truck, 
crying and screaming and yelling. And there's no way you can then say they have no emotions whatsoever. It's a, it's a shanda to see that. It is a disgraziata. Let's go to Ann, who's calling from uh, Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. Nancy, <coughs> excuse me. I spoke to you a few, uh, I think, over a week ago or something, talking about the dogs that are imported into the country and shelters. So I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there is a bill up in Albany, um, the companion bills, one in the Senate, 6870, which just passed, and the other is in the Assembly, 6246. Um, these are really, really good bills, and they're starting to put some, uh, well, they, the Senate will pass. It's um, putting requirements on shelter workers and shelters in general, <clears throat> and I think they're really excellent if you want to look them up. Um, easy to, enough to find on the internet. And some of the things that they were going to require for shelter workers is that they get training in certain topics like human handling techniques, infectious diseases among animals, uh, animal cruelty, sanitation, body language, normal behavior. Um, so a lot of good stuff is happening. In the assembly right now, it was read for the third time in the rules committee. And it looks like it will definitely pass because I looked at the votes, majority of votes, all in favor of this. So all it would need is for the uh, governor to uh, sign off on this. And I think the legislation session ends on June 3rd. And these are two really, really great bills that would be really good requirements for shelters so that it's uniform training. They're even going to require seminars, uh, uh, Zoom meetings for the people that work in shelters, and definitely give them a lot of training so that these animals are really taken really good care of. You know, so I just thought that I would pass that along to you. No, we appreciate that, Ann, because again, a lot of these shelters, they're not no-kill shelters, they're kill shelters. Uh, if a animal is surrendered and think twice about surrendering your animal, it may be because you don't have the money or you're ill yourself or maybe a loved one has died and you're surrendering the animal. That animal will probably only have 72 hours to live, uh, hoping that somebody would uh, call uh, call to rescue them, to take them, to adopt them. And if that doesn't happen... It's almost like uh, the cat or the dog or the other animal is waiting for a call from the governor's mansion to stay the execution. The governor herself would not have the power to stay an execution. She can with a human being. We don't have the death penalty any longer, but when the death penalty was in effect in New York, a guy could have been strapped into old Sparky at Sing Sing in Ossini. A call would come from the executive mansion in Albany and stay the execution. And it is incredible that the governor of the state of New York would not be able to call and stop the execution of a dog or cat or another uh, animal who had uh, gone beyond 72 hours. Yeah, and to the to the shelter, to the point of that bill, uh, you know, certainly that uniform training is is key because 
Uh, one example I can see where it would really be helpful is uh, the classification of animals' personalities determines whether or not they're available to the public. So if you have individuals assessing them and they don't really know how to uh, read the animal's behavior, especially taking into consideration that it's in this unusual environment that's going to be completely stressed out. I mean, if you, you have to be able to assess that really quickly because, I mean, almost all the rescues that we've ever taken and they were from, from the shelter was on this special list that isn't available to the public. So, I mean, that's a problem. So you really need to have people know what they're talking about. Anyway, uh, Nancy, if uh, there are people interested in further information, how can they get in touch with you in the in-between when you return to these airwaves, same time, same place, next Sunday night? Well, um, you know, the website, theguardianangels.org, but uh, you can email me uh, directly, uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. So nancy at guardianangels.org, or you could go to the website, guardianangels.org, see all the work of not just the Guardian Angels, but the particular program that you direct, the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division. You'll see the tab, hit it, and you can see all the great work that the volunteers do. So thank you once again, Nancy. But uh, we've got some other work to do. Uh, We have somebody here, Matt Blaze, who doesn't know, uh, as our board operator on loan from the uh, Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, does not know he's being targeted for release. And then as Dominic Carter comes in, the buffer between me and Frank Morano, he has no idea that I am housing the next four hours from one to five. So nobody should be going anywhere. You keep it right here on 770 AM WABC. It's a coup d'etat, a radio coup d'etat, courtesy of yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Recognize this song, Dominic Carter. Yes. Let me tell you something. You have just gotten yourself involved in WABC drama like you've never experienced before. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let me lay it out for you. Okay. As the OJ sing. What they do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now, you know... In the recent set of ratings that were released, and we had a ratings party put on by John and Margot Katsimatidis, owners and operators of our parent company, Red Apple Media, and uh, Chad Lopez, uh, who is our general manager, he laid out the ratings for everyone, your program, all the other uh, uh, hosts and uh, uh, hostesses, and... um, it was Frank Morano who came out as the golden child, the untouchable. Uh, he could do no wrong, remember? Sitting on a 20 number, that means in the hours, the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, 20 radios are turned tuned in to Frank Morano out of 100 radios that are on. 
But slightly behind him, ever since I came back off the campaign trail, having lost to your friend, Eric Adams, who's now the swagger man with no plan, this mayor, uh, I am now at 17. So I'm moving. Actually, I'm moving upwards, and he's sort of leveled off. But he's still, you know, whatever Frank wants, Frank gets. You've seen that. I know, Dominique, you don't want to say anything, but I'll take the bullet here. So the other morning... Uh, Chad Lopez came to Frank and said, you know, we have the number one uh, morning program in the marketplace and we need some help. We're procuring uh, requisitioning Felipe from your crew. He's got six guys in. I don't lie. Don't lie. Dominic. It's six <laughs> guys who help Frank Morano. I have Bupkis. I have Ugats. I have two guys. So Frank took a hissy fit. Oh, you can't take Felipe from me. And Chad rightfully said, look, the number one morning show, Sid Rosenberg and Bernard McGurk, and we're taking Felipe. He's needed. So Frank Morano copped an attitude, and he's told, Chad, he's not showing up for the morning show. He should run the best of Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, and then I heard that, and I did an intervention. I said, Chad, there is no best side of the other side of midnight. It was bad to begin with. Why would you want to double the pain and torture for the listeners? So I will do his four hours while he's out claiming that he's upset that so, Philippe was taken from him. So we do work for the same radio station, the same company. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that, Dominic. Why are you looking at me like that? Only because you were put here to be a buffer. It used to be Sunday mm. nights going into Monday morning, I would talk directly to Frank Morano. Right. And I would be his inquisitor. I would ask right. him uncomfortable questions. He had it. He went to management. He goes, I'm the ratings king. I'm the I'm the rooster in the hen house. Whatever mm. whatever he wants, he gets. Mm. And now, if you notice, you're looking through the bulletproof glass that separates us from the board operator, Matt Blaze. And I want you to hear this. You think it's just Felipe and Alex. Listen to what Frank had to say about you, Matt Blaze. You ever have to fire someone? I have to think that's a very difficult thing. Now, I have never really had a job where I was empowered to fire anyone. And uh, I still am not empowered to fire anyone. But I mean, if uh, Matt Blaze were to spit on my shoes right now and uh, tell, call me every name in the book, I would be powerless to let him go. I'd have to go beg Chad Lopez and John Katzbatini, please fire Matt Blaze. You know what Chad would say? He said he spit on your shoes and called you every name in his book. In the book, it's about time that guy got a promotion. Notice, though, there was a degree like if I want Matt Blaze fired, I should be able to get Matt Blaze fired. The hubris, the chutzpah. Matt, how is it working for Frank, who has basically indicated that he could fire you at any second? Well, here's the thing. I play the long game. You understand? I got plans. So what Frank may think what he's doing, I'm like a chess master. I'm already three steps, four steps ahead. It's okay. You know, the last chess master we knew was Bobby Fischer, and he was clinically insane. You do realize that. Well, sometimes the insane 
is what perseveres in the end. Well, let me make you an offer you can't refuse. Mm. Ah. Just come on board the Sliwa team. <laughs> come on, man. Just request the transfer. You want to be on the Curtis Sliwa show, and there's so many different variations of the Curtis Sliwa show. That, <laughs> that you is can, true. You can pretty much have your pick. I'll never sleep. Exactly. There'll be plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. That is true. I'll have to think about that. So you see what's happening? There's what's a, coup, happening? a coup d'etat going really? on. Really? Well, look, Frank should be grateful that he has this <laughs> microphone to broadcast from. My uh, belief doing this 32 years is every day when I leave the microphone, I may not get it back when I return. It's not mine. It's like when you go to the playground and the parkie gave you the basketball, and at the end of it, you got to give the basketball back, and maybe you show up the next day, you don't get that basketball Frankie walks in here like he owns the place. And he's got to be knocked down a few pegs. So with Felipe being stripped from him, because Felipe is like, he was able to feed him a lot of information that Frank would not have been able to get. And now, Matt, you can basically say, I've had a better offer from uh, Curtis Sliwa. He's told me I can pretty much pick or choose any of the Curtis Sliwa shows. He needs to be taught a lesson. He needs to show some humility. He needs to understand that we are just employees. At any moment, we could be told, hey, it's time to go get a job hanging wallpaper. And you see, Dominic, I need you to assist in that because Mm. you're like best buddies. I have one thing to say. I love you, man. No, I don't go that way. I realize gay pride is coming up. I don't go that way, Dominic. (laughs) You know, I... I respect you. I believe live and let live. But I, I just don't go that way. And uh, I'm still waiting my invitation to come out to Pomona. Oh, here we go. In Rockland County for the go. barbecue. I noticed go. you invited Frank. You invited Rachel. You invited Carmine. <laughs> you invited their relatives. But me, I get Ugats. Nothing. Bupkis. No. You're welcome anytime you want to come. Really? Yes. Hmm. Yes. You mean to Pomona, where even the lawn jockeys are white? No comment. <laughs> so what do you have in store for us? Because in one hour I return, yes. and I bogart Frank Morano, who thought they were going to play the best of the other side of midnight. But then again, there is no best of the other side of midnight. The scare at the Barclays Center this weekend. Folks are on edge. We're going to talk about that. I believe that this time there will be some type of agreement on gun control, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little nuts, but I I believe so. And where do you hear? I know you know. Where do you hear what happened on the subway this weekend? It's just horrible. By the way, the swagger man, uh, your friend Eric Adams, doesn't seem to have a plan other than to get into the White House. I think you could advise him. You better be careful. You might end up in the big house before the White House. <laughs> 